Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the movie review podcast where sound effects... Oh, My father. name is... Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> we were talking about it. Oh, no. Introduce yourself, then we'll talk about My it. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Winnie Seibold. I, too, am a critic. I write for Slash Film. Uh, I don't have a nickname, mm. but uh, boy, howdy, we got a rough one today. <laughs> Woo! Okay, so... This time on the Critically Acclaimed Network, we're reviewing a bunch of new movies, catching up a little bit we missed last week. Life is so hard, isn't it? But we're well, trying our best. I, I was I was on vacation. You I were. was I was out of town, and so yeah. the, the, and the gap some, was was me. I apologize. I, that me. was a big part of it. I had some other stuff going on as well, but yes, we're we're, we're trying so hard. We're, we're, I getting, we're getting it out there. We're here. We're All right. So anyway, we're, we're reviewing new movies this week, and we're catching up a little bit. We're reviewing uh, because the biggest kind of story this week. Uh, is uh, a, a latest film from a from a as part of like a Disney franchise, but it's going a little different direction. Uh, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, uh, the slasher <laughs> film based on A. A. Milne's Winnie the Pooh. Uh, it's no longer a Disney film because it's public domain, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Ant Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. It, uh, it wasn't until I saw the credits of the movie that I realized that the words Ant-Man mm-hmm. are embedded in the word Quantumania. And I think that's yeah. clever. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, they should have sold that harder. I, re- I they sh- Ant-Man and then Quantumania fades in around it. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, yeah, it would have been smart. Uh, we've got a new uh, indie romance called Of an Age. We've got a new horror movie called it's, Swallowed. Uh, O-F of an age. Yeah. It sounded like you said an, like an age of ovens. <laughs> It's not it's, of an age. It's a science of an, of yeah. an age. Uh, no, it's of an age. Uh, a new horror movie called Swallowed. Uh, a, a movie that is technically was a film from last year, but it's finally getting a proper release uh, uh, in America this year. A Return to Soul. Uh, and then a new Apple Plus movie. I guess it's like a thriller. Sharper. It's it's a, a con artist movie. It's, it's a con, confidence yeah. movie, which okay. yeah, is, is kind of its own subgenre. Mm-hmm. It's a shame that in the confidence, uh, the con artist subgenre, mm. uh, the name confidence uh, was taken by a pretty mediocre confidence. Yeah, it was that con Ed artist. Burns movie. Yeah, with Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman was in it. Like, um, it's, it's just fine. Like, it's okay. I, it, it's, it is sort of a pity that when... Somebody claims, like, the good title, and then they kind of squander it a little bit. Yeah, just sort of like, oh. It's okay. like, scary movie. Yeah. Like, that that could have been, like, I mean... The, well, that was the original title for Scream. Yeah, yeah. And, and they, then they, they, decided, Scream. they decided Scream was a, was a better title. So when they originally called the parody of Scream, which was itself kind of a parody... Uh, they called that scary movie it was actually pretty clever. We'll mm. take what you, you'll the, take your cast off. The problem is, those movies are kind of revolting. <laughs> Mostly pretty bad. Yeah. Actually, I haven't seen the first one. Oh God, I, I saw that. I in saw theaters. The, the second, the third, and I think the fifth. Yeah, I saw the. Fi- I, yeah, I saw the second. Or no, I, I skipped. I saw the second, and then I saw the fourth and the fifth. I saw the. But I haven't first, seen the first or the third. I know I've seen one of. I know I've seen three or four, but I've not mm. seen both. Okay, I've seen one, two, and five, and. Um, they're not very good. No, the first one has some funny jokes in it. That fourth one, ha- that fourth one has like Leslie Nielsen, and mm. there's like a, a few very brief moments of like you're like approaching good spoofery, but they didn't quite make. When you it. when you have that many professional comedians making mm. that many jokes that quickly, some of them had better land. Yeah, yeah. just by accident, some of them about got to land right. Mm. It's nothing worse than watching like a kind of like one of those broad slapsticky parody movies where it's jokes every five seconds and you're just sitting there stone faced the whole time. Yeah, yeah. It's like I'm here to laugh. I my bar is very low. 
It's very low right now, a haunted house. <laughs> I just want to go home and watch Hot Shots. It's, it's so just, much better. There's, there's like one very funny joke in a haunted house. I'm I'm really surprised that uh, Zucker Abram Zucker, mm-hmm. in the wake of Top Gun Maverick, yeah. haven't made a third Hot Shots film. You'd think, right? That, that like, would be a good time. That'd be a great legacy sequel right yeah. there. I'm not sure everyone how, how keen everyone is on Charlie Sheen, well, have, but you have, yeah. have his son or something. Yeah. Topper Harley 2. They should just call it Topper Harley 2. Topper Harley 2. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we're off in the weeds. Uh, it's so, also also Topper. We have a lot to cover, yeah. and we're gonna we're gonna talk about the movie that we all know mm. we're here to talk about first, and we're talking about Winnie the Pooh, Blood <laughs> and Honey. Oh my god, this thing! Uh, so uh, in twenty twenty two, first first of January twenty twenty two, A. A. Milne's first Winnie the Pooh book, mm-hmm. which was uh, published, I think, in nineteen twenty six. That's worth could, knowing. Uh, yeah. It was in the in the mid twenties. Uh, finally, went into the public domain. Uh, this was uh, scandal is the wrong word. Just sort it was 26. of twenty six. Twenty six. All right. It, it was a bit of a to do mm-hmm. because uh, since the sixties, yeah. the Walt Disney Company owned all the rights to uh, all of A. M. Milne's work and all the characters. Yeah. And Disney is so insidious in their branding. Mm. That you could be forgiven for thinking of Pooh as a Disney character. I mean, for sixty years he has been. Yeah, yeah. So for sixty years he's been <coughs> completely like they're Winnie the Pooh characters on in in they did multiple animated movies, yeah. they did a live action TV show in the eighties. Yeah, you they, know, they, they, I even got to um, <coughs> process a, a sixteen millimeter short film where mm. it was like an educational short hosted by people in Winnie mm. the Pooh outfits. Mm. Now. Oh, was it the uh, was it the one about Stranger Danger? Not that one in particular. Yeah. It was it was one of the early. I think it was about like volcanoes or something. Yeah. But um, like Winnie the Pooh is going to teach about volcanoes. Uh, a. a. Milne's work. Um, not everybody's a fan. Uh, he's mm. <laughs> gentle to the point of being insufferable, and I'm sure you're going to bring up Dorothy Parker. Dorothy Parker part. wrote uh, Dorothy Parker. Everyone probably knows her best as a poet mm-hmm. and uh, a writer of short stories. One of the She's most a vicious critic. <laughs> one of the most powerful critics, just in terms of her prose, mm. but also she could she could end a play in a day. Yeah. Like she could, like there was so much power. But um, but she wrote a, a review oh of God. Winnie of Winnie the Pooh in the nineteen twenties, and she hated it. She hated how mm-hmm. treacly and childish it was. Mm-hmm. Um, the notion of children's literature was still a bit of a novelty by the twenties. That's true. Um, it wasn't until around like the turn of the twentieth century, mm-hmm. like the nineteen hundreds, yeah. that books specifically for a young audience yeah. uh, that weren't morality plays like Aesop or yeah. or the or Brothers Grimm or or uh, some uh, other sort of uh, uh, often Christian allegory kind of thing. Yeah, or like an everyman yeah. kind of a thing. Th- there were there were books uh, that children would enjoy, but they were typically mm-hmm. more crossover books, like from adults. The idea of writing a book because we think children would like it, mm. and that's it. Was is a relatively yeah, like, modern concept and, in the grand history of literature. Yeah, it starts with uh, uh, Wonderful Wizard of Oz, uh, there, yeah. Peter Pan, like those mm-hmm. those kind of, which well, we're it, still it, reading today. It, it starts off uh, with actually like you know cheap tawdry dime store things, yeah, yeah. about like rootin' tootin' cowboys who like mm-hmm. I'm the most wanted man in the West. And oh, I'm also the best person who ever lived. That kind well, of thing. That, like, that kind of stuff was actually, I think written for an adult audience just uh, kids was, glommed I, onto it i think they understood that kids were yeah. getting it but in any case um, yeah so the t- it, children's literature is a 20th century phenomenon and 
Winnie the Pooh is about a six-year-old boy named Christopher Robin mm-hmm. who went out into the Hundred Acre Wood, which is sort of like his own, like in his, his imagination. That's like what he calls his backyard. Basically, uh, it's, it's the it's the woods that Kelvin walks in with. Hobbs. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and uh, he has a, a collection of stuffed animals, but in his imagination, mm-hmm. they have lives of their own and they walk around and they talk. They're but anthropomorphized, yeah. but they think like six-year-olds. They have a very rudimentary understanding of the world around them. Yeah, well, I, I would argue that they they think like five-year-olds. Because they look up to Christopher Robin as if he's this genius who can solve all their problems. Because Robin's just a kid. They're just younger kids. (laughs) Um, And uh, eventually Christopher Robin would grow up and sort of put away his childish things. That's the point. Yeah. That's literally the point Uh, of Winnie the Pooh. Is that you're supposed to, it's like, this is all very sweet. But eventually these are the types of fantasies that you have as a kid. And then you grow up and you put them away. And it's it's very sad, but it's part of growing up and isn't that nice. Um, When Disney bought Winnie the Pooh... uh, Christopher Robin never put them away. They were yeah, perpetuated. Yeah. The whole yeah. point of Winnie the Pooh was that these characters are always wandering around doing fun stuff. And Winnie the Pooh became not a story about something, but characters to be exploited. And sometimes, I'm going to give credit where credit is due, hmm. sometimes Disney exploited those characters great. That first, uh, um, I think it's called The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh mm-hmm. from the 70s, which was the first Lovely. Winnie the Pooh movie. That's... Mm-hmm. I, I can't cast too many aspersions on that one. I like the way it was told. Mm-hmm. I like the animation style. It was a really, um, really I love nice the voice cast in that that movie. Mm-hmm. They they uh, they did a really, really nice one in 2011 called Winnie which, Just Winnie the Pooh. Which, I missed that one. It's so good. Yeah, it's beautifully I saw, animated. I saw it's bits of like uh, yeah. like the Tigger movie and Pooh's Heffalump movie, and those are just like that, com- those that's commercial tribe. Much more commercial um, tribe. No, the Winnie the Winnie the Pooh from 2011 is actually a very respectable. Uh, approach to the characters they do a lot of really fun fanciful things with Uh, kind of uh, making an interactive book and having the characters walk around a page and everything like that in a way that doesn't feel trite it actually feels very well handled uh, and lovely a a colleague of ours mr alonso duralde Mm. uh compared it to miyazaki and uh, i i I feel like i need to give that one some attention because that's the one i haven't seen it's hardly Uh, one of my favorites but it's a really good movie uh, and it's it again but credit where credit is due disney did a good thing in that one uh, when Pooh lapsed into the public domain, uh, Disney is allowed to keep their version of Winnie the Pooh. Yes. Like the, the very specific look of the character. In fact, the one that's wearing the red shirt mm-hmm. can't do that. That's Disney's thing. Mm-hmm. Unless it was uh, in the original book, in which case yeah. you can. Uh, Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey, for instance, doesn't have the character of Tigger. Yeah. Because Tigger was introduced in a later Pooh book, which is not in the public domain yet. Yeah. So, uh... What we do have, however, are access to Owl, Rabbit... Pooh and Piglet and, and Eeyore. Eeyore, the the depressive donkey. Yeah, those are the characters, and Christopher Robin himself. Yeah, uh, um, and in this version, mm-hmm. what's, what's his name? Uh, the the filmmaker is named uh, uh, oh, Re- Reese Frake Waterfield. Is his name? Yeah. Uh, he envisioned. Uh, he actually took a conceit from the Christopher Robin live action film. It's the same fucking conceit. The idea is uh, Christopher Robin. This is the last uh, Disney movie that they made out of it. The live action. Yeah, the live action. Ewan McGregor played Christopher Robin, who left Pooh, grew up, fought in the wars, mm. lost his innocence, kind of like in the movie Hook, and uh, a came, lot like the movie Hook. Came yeah. back to the Hundred Acre Wood years later as a grumpy father who doesn't let his kids mm. have imaginations. But it turns out and, uh, in that movie that Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore, and all the rest were real. And he abandoned them, and they've been wandering around the woods in a depressive fugue state there's for a, decades. There, there's a scene in Christopher Robin where Eeyore is seen floating down a river, and he mentions, like, my latest drowning attempt didn't work again. These characters can't die. Yeah, just, and they want for, to. For, yeah, like, it's, <laughs> because here's the thing. If you decide 
that the characters in Winnie the Pooh are real. They're not figments of Christopher Robin's imagination. They're and, not and representative they, uh, they, of his... In that movie, they sta- other people see them yeah. and interact with them. So they are... They're 100% real. His, 100% his family real. sees them. Random passers-by on the street see them. They are real. That is 100% confirmed to Christopher Robin. If they are real, then Christopher Robin abandoning them stops being a story of, you know, a, a, a bittersweet... Mm, growing up and growing putting up down story. your toys. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, real sad but honest and fair mm. and becomes a story of someone neglecting their pets and <laughs> that's exactly yeah. what he finds out is that he neglected his pets and he has to take care of them now mm. in christopher robin but in winnie the pooh blood and honey when christopher robin leaves uh they pooh go f- and, they go feral <laughs> well pooh piglet and eeyore have become accustomed they, they've been domesticated they're mm. used to, to being cared food, for by yeah. a human to being fed by a human and without Christopher Robin, they starve in the winter and they go mad and kill and eat Eeyore. And the experience <laughs> That's in the is, prologue. This yeah. is all in the prologue. The, the experience is so traumatic that it changes them forever. And they vow to never speak again, which the movie doesn't really stick to very well. Uh, and they vow to uh, basically wage war on all humans who come into the 100 Acre Wood. Mm. So... It's the present day. Well, it is, is... Hold, additional conceit. Oh yeah. In Christopher Robin, they're living stuffed animals. That's true. Yes, they're full of fluff. Um, in this one, uh, the narration implies they're like Doctor Moreau outcasts. They're like some kind of mutant mm. animal hybrid thing. Yeah, like almost almost as though they're some kind of woodlands. It's like if you found Totoro and domesticated Totoro mm. and then abandoned Totoro yeah. and then Totoro started eating people. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> so, um, justice classy, justice classy, uh, and and there's some dialogue to the effect of uh, because they were they went they sort of like snapped and ate a friend. They mm-hmm. they said that they're a little bit more animal now, and they forswore mm-hmm. speaking. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, uh, and but they haven't forsworn walking on two legs, not on four. They, they, they wear, wear clothing, wear clothes, and use tools and yeah, drive cars. And shit. I mean, granted, granted, at that point, we're not expecting them to be purely logical beings. They're operating on emotion, yeah. and that can be self-conflicting, but let's not give the movie too much credit. Uh, the, can we not give this movie any credit? I don't... Because this movie's a turd. This movie is a huge stinker. That doesn't mean I hate it. I actually have some, some okay. I, I, I wouldn't say nice things to say about it, but I do think that there are some upsides to this movie. Okay. Um, the movie opens with Christopher Robin. Uh, all this Christopher Robin, Winnie the Pooh stuff didn't take place in the 20s. It took place in the present day. He's coming back to the Hundred Acre Wood. He's the first time coming back since he left. He went to college. He went got to married. He went to med school. He got married. And now he's coming back and he wants to prove to his wife that this is real and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not mad. Uh-huh. And she says, I know you want to believe that they're real. Uh, she is immediately murdered and he is dispatched. So I thought that was going to be the whole movie. Uh-huh. And then we just cut to new characters. And now we're, we're here with this, this uh, young woman and she's dealing with a lot of anxiety. It turns out uh, she had had a stalker who was stalking her. And now she is getting a cabin in the woods in order to escape the big city so that she can relax with her friends in a place where she feels really, really safe. And I kind of thought the stalker thing was going to go somewhere or tie in thematically in some way. It does not. Mm. It's just an excuse to get them in a cabin. You could have done that anyway. 
they go into a cabin. It's basically a house. It's not even a cabin, but you go into a big, big it's, old house. Yeah. And we meet our cast of characters. Uh, there's a woman who has a stalker. Uh, there's character with glasses. Uh, there's, there's a... Uh, there's a Instagram influencer. There's an Instagram, someone who, who likes Instagram a lot. And then there are two women who are dating each other, one of whom is... Uh, one of them... Is trying to make it work, and the other one says they need more time. What they did, why they're on the outs, will never be discussed. Uh, to to, to uh, quote that wonderful line from Rat Race, it's unfortunate they were born without personalities. Um, yeah. There, there is no time given to these characters no. they I, I can't even remember their names nope. they look they even look kind of the same a lot of them look very very so similar thank god one of them wears glasses and one of them has tattoos yeah yeah like otherwise it would be a complete complete uh, and and yeah. and they're really dumb people these characters oh there's god. there's a scene in this movie oh where god. um they arrive and Pooh Bear uh, or just starts murdering them immediately. Like, and, there's almost no time. Like, Pooh Bear is just, like, wandering through the woods. He just killed some rando, and he's just wandering through the woods, and he overhears some people talking. He's like, mm. oh, I guess I better kill them. Well, and he they, walks over they to kill hate, them. They hate humans. They now, hate so. humans, so there's some nearby. He's going to go kill them. Mm. You were going to... I can think of multiple examples of these characters behaving in a way mm. that is not only well, not particularly smart, but embarrassing from a screenplay yeah, perspective. So, because uh, people make mistakes all the time. Oh, in real life, and uh, like, especially yeah. in life in those situations, it's easy to screw up. So uh, this they, goes above and beyond. Uh, well, I mean, they they don't know that they're being stopped by monsters. Yeah, so they don't I'm know not going to. I'm not going to fault them for doing horror movie stuff. Yeah, the basics. I, I am going to fault them, however, for uh, when one of them is dead. Yeah, and uh, part of the party has discovered that they're dead, and the other part part of the party uh-huh. has discovered the words "Get Out" written in blood on, on their the win- windows. on their windows yeah. on the outside of the windows, and. Uh, so, you know, Pooh Bear can actually write backwards. Uh, so they charge in and they say, oh, no, our our friends, Heather. <laughs> has, Which they might as well just add a question mark. Oh, no, Heather? Heather, Jessica? Uh, <coughs> they discover that she's dead and they charge in and they say, oh, no, our friend is dead. And the other ones whip back and look at the window and they say, maybe... It was the same person who wrote this bloody message on the window. <laughs> and I actually said out loud in full voice in the theater, no, it was someone else. Because <laughs> like, wouldn't that just, have been a coincidence? It's just idiocy. Uh, the one thing I thought you were going to... The other obvious one that I thought you were going to bring up is, uh, um, it, you know, there's a unwritten rule in movies that... Uh, uh, especially in horror movies, where if a character has a cell phone, that makes it too easy. So you have to neutralize the cell phone whenever you can. Yeah. It's out of batteries. It got broken somehow. Dropped in a bowl of salsa. Don't think I didn't pay attention to that. David Gordon Green's Halloween. <laughs> that was embarrassing. Um, here, they do the thing where, okay, listen, we're here to unplug for the weekend. Everyone give me your phones. And I'm like, okay, it's hackneyed. But they explains why all the phones are locked in a drawer somewhere and they can't yeah. get to them. So they give, them all, they, they give, they give up their phones. And then we clearly see the phones are on a table in the hall. Not in a drawer. Just right there. They walk past them multiple times. You could have picked them up and called 911 or whatever. They're in England. It's 999 there, I think. I think it's 999. Yeah, well, like, you could call emergency services. I mean, you're out in the middle of nowhere. You still might be screwed. But, like, there's no reason not to try. Mm. So all of that was for nothing. You did that for nothing. And then almost all the characters die really quick. So we don't even have much fodder left. And now Stop just... stabbing me. I'm trying to unplug. <laughs> 
So they all run around and then they yeah. end up in Pooh's lair. And, and then and they... Pooh is essentially Leatherface. He is. Like they have this like gross shed full mm-hmm. of like chains and, and Piglet wanders around. Yeah. Uh, like chains draped around his neck. And... Yeah. And like overalls yeah. wearing. Yeah. It's all and, very. And, and Piglet looks like a boar. They actually yeah, tried well, to make it look like he's, a pig. He's grown up. Yeah. He's not. He, they should just call like him Pig now. And stuff. Yeah. Not Piglet. But. Um, <laughs> just pig. He's just pig now. I saw that movie Pig. It was it, really good. Yeah, really good movie. Mm-hmm. This is not this is not the sequel I thought we would get. Too bad. <laughs> um they they end up in Winnie the Pooh and Piglet's like house of horrors. They run into a character who has been there for a while and like has been tortured or whatever. And the implication is that we're supposed to know who this is. I think maybe they were in one shot. They didn't explain who that character is. They never figured who that character is. But that character has been through so much they can do an exposition dump. And then they take up a lot of screen time. And I'm like, I don't even know who you are, why you're here, Hmm. and what function this serves. Because there's other ways you could have exposition dumped this using characters we've actually met. So I'm deeply confused. Uh Um, I'll say this. It culminates with like a car chase that was actually surprisingly like... Like, a surprising, like, an action sequence, considering how cheap the rest of this movie was. Mm. I'm not saying I was impressed or anything like that, but it definitely, like, ramped up a bit at the end. Yeah. Um, and the ending was quite dark. I'll, I'll give you that. It, it was actually, yeah. it was ending like, oh, I see. Okay, yeah, mm. that's an ending. Oh. Wish, wish the rest of the movie had been that well thought out, but okay. Um, the, this is a funnier die sketch. Yeah, that this got is way a, out of hand. I, I'm, I'm not objecting to the idea. No. Of turning Winnie the Pooh into a horror movie. No. Actually, I've... I, I remember the dark days of Pinocchio's revenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this has been do- been going on for a long time. And, and you got to realize that a lot of the stuff that we think of as kids entertainment started off in a much darker form. A lot of the mm-hmm. Disney movies that we know and love, Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, they come from Snow older White. older fables, which were written uh, much more scarily. Well, they were written as morality fables um, and cautionary and, tales as and well. Cautionary tales. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the idea of uh, trying to frighten children into good behavior—that was the function yeah. of many early fairy tales. So we're kind of just uh, going right back around to it. The irony mm-hmm. is that Winnie the Pooh itself didn't start here. Yeah. So it feels kind of perverse, but really, it's all yeah. in the tradition. Uh, so I I, I want. I, th- I think the movie's dumb. Oh, it's I th- very dumb. I, but I, what I want to see is the best possible version of a horror movie about Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. And I didn't get it. No, I got a really crappy horror movie version no. of Winnie the Pooh. Uh, the fact that it's a horror movie version of Winnie the Pooh doesn't have to do it. That in and of itself in a vacuum is fine. What does is the shitty filmmaking, yeah. uh, the bad editing, the uh, lack of explanation of a lot of this stuff. This mm-hmm. is this movie was made for like $100,000. Which is... Over it, the course of 10 days. So again, I understand they're moving fast. And you can make good horror movies mm. in that way. Yeah, just think it out a little but bit. But it's weirdly uh, incompetent at times. There's a scene mm. at the beginning where Christopher Robin and his wife are like, they're in Pooh's house and they're sort mm. of looking around like, wait, this doesn't look right. And they pick up like a piece of paper. And they look at this oh, piece yeah. of paper and they and, go, what is this? Why would someone they, put something like this on a piece of paper? And they stare at it for a little bit and they, and they freak out. And they talk and they about run, it. Oh, it's yeah. really upsetting. This Who would do this? And then they put it down and we never the, see what's yeah, on it. the camera that. doesn't like zoom in on what we, it was. We or... never get a cutaway shot. It never comes back later in the movie. Does it like die Christopher Robin die or no, anything? No, it's, it's was... just... What? Also, if you're going to make a horror movie about Winnie the Pooh, uh-huh. make it fun. Take some iconography mm. from Winnie the Pooh. Uh, you, here's how you dispatch Pooh at the end of this movie. Mm. You tie him to a balloon and dip him in mud and send him <laughs> up on a blustery day. Uh, That's, what, where's, that'd be fun. I was, I, I was uh, 
talking to my wife about not this. Sure if, I'm not sure if that's in the original book or not. Because oh, the Pooh well, stories were spread out of That's true. Books, so uh, I'm not sure what's in the original book. I haven't read did, it in a long time. How about the one where, you know, Pooh ate too much honey and got stuck in his... his there you um, go, he gets stuck in a tree. Stuck, yeah, somebody gets stuck in a hole. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, that. Um, the closest thing they did with, like, using Pooh iconography is that, you know, he loves honey. Yeah. And he has, like, psychic control over bees in, like, you know, one like, or two scenes. You know, like Pooh had. Yeah. Uh, There's uh, also a bit where uh, we find out what happened to Eeyore's tail. Yeah. Which is kind of gross, but honestly, it's a little unclear. Like, it took me a while to realize that's what that was. I'm, and I'm still not sure if that's that, what that was supposed like to be. I feel like that's what that was supposed to be, yeah. but I don't think it, I don't think they were very, very clear about it. There was something that was made of human hair, and it behaved in a way that human hair doesn't. But I, I, um, Yeah. So, yeah, there's no wit. They're not really no. thinking this out. They're not trying to have fun with it at all. No, it's the laziest possible version mm-hmm. of this. The, the, the masks look cheap and unconvincing. And, yeah, and, and we... Yeah. And the masks masks are a problem. They're, they're just terrible. Uh, the design the design looks f- like fun in like still photos. Yeah, and the still photo looks okay, but then he realized that there's, there's no, no mobility to yeah, it. Yeah, there's no articulation in the face. Yeah, uh, it looks like an expensive mask you they could didn't get like, at a mask store. There's an actor in, a, actors in the Pooh and yeah. Piglet masks, but they didn't like blend it around their eyes to make yeah. it part of their face. Yeah. It looks like people wearing masks. So the when Piglet people in the movie, okay, yeah. the people in the movie act like these are like were creatures, yeah. and it's like no. That's that's a dude. That my first thought would be that's a dude in a creepy bear mask. Yeah, which is in of itself is creepy. Yeah, that would yeah. be fine. And, and in fact, I expected them to like. I expected there'd be a twist, like they pull their masks. And off. then it turns out they were all Christopher Robin. Oh, that would have made sense actually. Yeah, the, each of them is Christopher Robin. That would have made yeah, sense. Like, that would, like he, he wished them into being manifestations of his psyche or something. That could have been interesting. Uh, we didn't do that. No, nothing interesting happens. No, nothing interesting happens. The, 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 he he sets some hillbillies. People die under car tires. Uh, mm. It's. It's like the the most rote, cheap, yeah. uh, poorly thought out slasher I've seen on a big screen in a long time. It's not getting a huge release. It's on these uh, uh, what are, what are they called again? Fan? Uh, something? Fan, no, fanfare? Fathom events? Fathom okay, events? Yeah, it's a fathom yeah, event. It's a fathom event. So it's screening, but it's not like doing like five screenings a day, that kind of thing. And apparently it's already made its money back and then some because it well, was so cheap. Yeah. But, it costs no money to make. But and, my, they're, and they're already doing sequels. Of course they are. Yeah. Well, Two has already been announced. Yeah. And, they're uh, talking about doing crossovers like Pooh versus Bambi because that's yeah, public domain now. They're going to do uh, Bambi and also Peter Pan. Uh, yeah. Peter Pan's Nightmare Neverland has already been pitched. Of course. As has Bambi the Reckoning. So we're going to get yeah. a bunch of these things. Bambi the Reckoning actually sounds kind of fun. But I will <laughs> not, say. Not from what I've seen not, Bernie the Pooh. Uh, not, not from this filmmaker per yeah. se but the concept isn't isn't the worst thing in the world i have two things i'm going to say about this movie in a positive way all right they're not they're not complimentary per se but they're things that i took away from the experience which were positive you already touched upon one of them um winnie the pooh had been subject to crass over exploitation mm. for pure capitalistic gain uh, for many many years even the good movies they did it to make money mm. that they were good was fortunate and representative of the talent Disney has had at their disposal for so long, but they've done it to make money. They sold the action figures to make money, or the toys, the dolls and things to make money. Uh, it's been in the hand of a corporation for a long time. Uh, and now that it's in public domain, very little has changed, mm. except now they're making movies out of it that they would never do before. So now this is a crass exploitation of Winnie the Pooh as an intellectual property, mm. but the idea that it's a horror movie is supposed to get you through and make you think, yeah. oh, how novel. And you know what? A little novel. I remember they did that Banana Splits movie uh, a yeah, few this, years this ago. This is identical in concept to the Banana Splits. Uh, well, in, in general concept. The plots right. are very different. 
Um, that Banana Splits movie is way more competent than this. It's still basically just, what if the the Banana Splits killed people? Mm. It's about as good as that was. And also be. they're robots, which is And also lot, they're robots, yeah. they're like animatronics, they were like you've gone mad, but mm. like um that's about as good as that <coughs> movie was gonna get. Uh Winnie the Pooh is not as good as that movie could get, but the novelty value is there. Mm. And there is something to be able to be said for I remember when Disney finally let had to let Winnie the Pooh go and let other mm. people do Winnie the Pooh stuff. And I saw the very first thing that happened. And yeah, it sucked, but I was there. <laughs> and so, like, you know, it's like I was there, like, I was there at the Beach Boys' first concert back before they figured out harmonizing. <laughs> like, they hadn't figured out, like, what, what, should we harmonize? No, we're just going to caterwaul at different, uh, different octaves. And it just didn't work. But I was there for the first one. Their songs used to be about skimboarding. It was weird. Um <laughs> I, I as, as sort of like a media criticism exercise, hmm. I appreciate the existence of Winnie That's the Pooh. That's my Blood point. The fact yeah. of its existence is noteworthy enough. It's not just the novelty; like it's a big deal that this is capable of existing. That doesn't necessarily make it a good movie. Of course, it doesn't, but it's really noteworthy. Yeah, and I don't think that should be ignored. I think this is a small place in the history books reserved for it just for that alone. Yeah. The other thing that I did like about it, and. You, you already said yourself, this is like the, the crappiest slasher mm-hmm. we've seen in a theater in God knows how long. And yeah. I've seen some really crappy ones. Um, it's almost a treat to watch something this old-fashionedly terrible <laughs> like this in a theater. Ba- basically incompetent on a big screen. When you watch old, shitty horror movies, like we're talking about the MST3K, like... You know, mm. the Pantheon, your the robot, robot Monsters. Well, it's actually a good movie. Um, <laughs> I, I'm very fond of Robot, robot Monster, Monsters. Robot Monsters, I will actually go to bat for Robot Monsters. Mm. I think it's a legitimately good movie. But the giant Gila monster sucks. Okay? Yeah, it's the, like the works of Coleman Francis. Yeah, there's a there's a really like when you look at those like really old Attack of the Giant uh, Attack of the Giant Leeches, mm. these are not good movies. They're very no. incompetent movies. There might be something kind of interesting in them, but they're not good movies. Mystery Science Theater is what gives them value. Yeah. <laughs> the the commentary. The idea that those movies were considered entertainment in their own right. They were released in theaters. People went to see them. They paid real money. And they either enjoyed them, or they laughed at the screen, or they paid no attention to what was on the screen and spent the whole time making out. <laughs> That's this movie. If you've ever seen like a scene in a movie where like people like go to like a drive-in and they're watching some real piece of shit and it's not that interesting... There's a charm in that. Mm. And again, this is more the fact of its existence. The fact that something this inept is in theaters and it has, even in its ineptitude, some tawdry thrills. Mm. Just, oh, that person got a knife to the head. Oh, no, that's that's probably bad. <laughs> oh, that, no. That's, I don't approve, hey, honestly. Mr. Hey, Mr. Donut Head Man, who's trying to kill you? I don't know, but he better not. Oh, oh, God, oh, no, oh. We saw it in a theater. Mm. It wasn't full. <laughs> no. No, it was like a, it was like a quarter full. Oh. Enough, enough to say that there was a bit of a crowd. You know, it wasn't just us and two other people or something. People got into it. Mm. They were having an enjoyable time. Not on the movie's wavelength. They were having a trouble time watching something that they knew was stupid. Yeah. And on that sort of meta level, the movie can be enjoyed. I'm not going to say it's a good movie. Mm. And I've said this before a lot of times. I think if a movie is good, if a movie can be enjoyed, it's probably good. 
And this one, I don't. I think this is an exception to that rule mm. because it's a bad movie. Yeah. And what we are enjoying is the matter of factness of its existence. Yeah. Uh, I find that interesting. It does not save the movie. The movie is nowhere near well, fun enough, clever enough, mm. scary enough. It doesn't do anything terribly interesting, except you're watching it and going, <laughs> they, they, they did that. Yeah. They really did that, they didn't just they? Did that. But I feel like the, the same thing could be said of something like, you know, Sharktopus versus Megacroc. Sure. If that was in a theater, that would be kind of a fun... Yeah, I mean, like but that, that, that one's kind of self-aware, idea. though. This, uh, one, this one isn't that self-aware. Though. No, well, but a lot of those sci-fi, like, monster movies aren't either. Like, they come up with these wild titles, mm-hmm. but then when they make them, they're weirdly earnest. The post-Sharktopus ones got more ironic. Uh, yeah, Pre-Sharktopus, we got some ones that were, like, actually legit trying. Mm-hmm. And, and there were some afterwards, but I, I, I miss the pre-Shark... Uh, not Shark, but Sharknado. Uh, Sharknado, yeah. Sorry. The pre-Sharknado days... Yeah, Sharknado, they, they latched onto irony. I actually know? really enjoy a lot of those early sci-fi channel original movies because it did because keep of that, their earnestness. It did keep that drive-in movie mentality alive. And you know what? Some of them were actually pretty good. I'll go to bat for a yeah. few of them. Um, Arachnids, Blood Monkey, those are fine. I've heard Blood Monkey's okay. I think someone with F. Murray Abraham, if memory serves. Like, that yeah. was pretty good. Arachnids was pretty solid. Like, there's, there's, there's the, a... Mansquito is fun. Like, there, there's one called Lavalantula, <laughs> which is a lava tarantula. Yeah. And and I, I, I object to that on just sort of a, a basic mm-hmm. level because they didn't call it Tarantulava. It's right there. Just I will say it. this one. I've been meaning to see that one because that's from Mike Mendez, who oh. uh, wrote and directed Big Ass Spider. Which was actually maybe the gold standard of the Sci-Fi Channel original giant monster movie yeah. because that guy he made it he didn't make he, it didn't ironic. Did he also do Poseidon Rex, the underwater? No, no, no. That was that was or? Mark Lester, I think. Oh, okay, that was that was uh, but no. Mark, uh, uh, Mike Mendez he did uh, an installment in um, Tales of Halloween and uh, he did yeah. that. Okay, he yeah. did that really unusually good uh, Dolph Lundgren horror movie. Don't kill it. Um, oh, okay, but um, Big Ass Spider is a movie that is. It's it's not an ironic commentary on giant monster movies. It's just a good, funny giant monster movie. Okay, yeah. Like it's it's it, that. it's it's one of the origins of when I started saying, you know, a good script doesn't have to cost you much more. Yeah, yeah. You know, it like doesn't, you, you doesn't cost extra to write good dialogue. Yeah, I mean, if you're paying a good screenwriter, I guess maybe it'll cost you a little extra. But like, regardless, you'll save a lot of money, and you can cheap out on everything else. But the script is good. The script is good. Mm. Big ass spider is good. Anyway, we're off in the weeds. Um. Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Weird. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> Insert extended fart noise g- here. Go- going back to, to Disney and possibly extended fart noise. Uh, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, which I apologize. Mm-hmm. I didn't see this one yet. You missed this one. Yeah. I. You know what? Money sucks. Uh, you couldn't make it to the screen. I couldn't make it to the screen. The, there was only and, one. Uh, and I, I couldn't. You know, I, money sucks. Sorry, what can I do? I'll, I'll say this. Uh, lockdowns were not fun for most no. people. Uh, but for us film critics, when they just sort of let us have whatever we wanted at home, well, that was pretty nice. I, I disagree uh, with the phrasing, let us have whatever well, let we us, wanted. Uh, but sorry, but you the know, idea is that they, they didn't... My point being... Movies were available to critics on like a digital screener. Yeah. They, when they weren't usually before. Usually you had to go to a movie unless it was yeah, like a small indie. But there was, yeah. yeah, like big, big major blockbusters could not be seen on screeners at home. Yeah. So I saw things like Jungle Cruise and yeah. Wonder Woman on, on the small screen. Yeah. And in terms of like our scheduling, that's a lot more convenient. It's exceptionally convenient. Uh, and listen, we don't, listen, we're not like, I, I don't want to make it sound like we're, we, we shouldn't necessarily be entitled to anything, but no, this, uh, this, but this, this is, this is, is just a job. Part of, it's part of our line. Well, no, it's yeah. a job. And accessibility 
should be important for any job. Mm. And there's a lot of people who have disabilities, for example, or were immunocompromised who couldn't review things otherwise unless screeners were made available. Mm -hmm. So that was a good thing. But now we've moved away from that, and now if you miss the the theatrical screening, especially for a big movie, you're shit out of luck, which is their prerogative, but what are you going to do? So I Mm -hmm. couldn't see Ant-Man. That's why. Uh, And I'll get to it at some point. Okay. Uh, If I can i'll go see it this week or something but if not it'll be on disney plus in a couple of months another reason why maybe the the sexiness of these mcu movies are are, are falling a smidge because it's like oh well Uh, yeah okay soon enough we we've officially tipped into uh just complete tired overexposure with these mcu movies i don't Um, know yes and no I, I like uh, I liked some of the like weird visual sci-fi elements of the new Black Panther movie. Mm-hmm. The idea of these like sort of two fantasy kingdoms that uh, mm-hmm. don't look like anything we've seen in movies before. Yeah, uh, going to war like that's some interesting ideas were in there. Yeah, and and a lot of fun visuals. I liked all the undersea stuff. Yeah, uh, I liked Eternals uh, that had like a big yeah. sci-fi story about sort yeah. of like the looking at time in the long run and how, like superheroes place in this mm-hmm. sort of, uh, you know, billion year timeline. Yeah. Uh, a lot of these things though, they're, I think they, they've, I'm trying, trying to think of a polite term, just sort of climaxed too often. Well, I, I think, and, what, uh, hmm, I and, and, and there's, it's just becoming more and more evident that even though there's like TV shows and there's all these new characters that are being introduced, we're we've been straining against the limits of this genre for a long time. I, I don't think that's quite it. I'm and, gonna, uh, I have a theory about that. Okay, and I feel like with sort of the way Disney is telling Marvel, if you go to Marvel Comics, there's mm. all kinds of different tones and all these different artists. Yeah, follow a single book for long enough, and it's going to change a lot because mm-hmm. there's new teams of writers constantly coming in. Which you should, and, should yeah. do. That's how it stays fresh. Well, or, and that's how they want to just sort of keep these things going in perpetuity. Well, I mean, it's never yeah. like, okay, we're done with Daredevil. We're not going to do any more Daredevil stories. Yeah. Uh, it's like, no, we got to keep Daredevil going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like when it comes to the movies, they're trying to keep them sort of unified in the same kind of universe. But mm-hmm. this universe has been going on for so long. This is movie number 31 in this series. Mm-hmm. And there's also... That's not like, including the TV shows. And, and there's been planning. 20 TV shows besides. I looked it up. Mm-hmm. If, if you count stuff like, you know, Cloak and Dagger and Hellstrom. Some of that stuff uh, isn't quote-unquote canon anymore, uh, but it's a multiverse, not, yeah. so it kind of is. Yeah, so all uh, 20 TV series, 31 yeah. movies, a lot of stuff. Yeah. So much has happened over the course of this series that we can't even pretend that it has any kind of connection to the real world anymore. Yeah. This is now a complete fantasy universe, and we are meant to take all of these extraordinary things as in stride as the people who are experiencing them. Mm-hmm. Ant-Man goes into the quantum realm. It's uh, like a yeah. fantasy dimension that is microscopic. You know, he shrinks down so small, like to the space in between quarks, mm-hmm. and there's like a yeah. alternate little pocket dimensions in, inside these particles. Sure. I wish they had thought of like something more physics related with that. Like, why does the physics of, you know, tiny particle life work differently? They get when... down there and there's oxygen and they just walk mm-hmm. around like it's regular Earth gravity. So, um... No fun sci-fi concepts yeah. there. Uh, yeah, Ant-Man uh, is living with the Wasp. His daughter is now much older because she aged while he didn't during a, a cataclysm in the, Marvel. During, during the blip. They call it the blip. So yeah, she's a teenager now. She's played by Catherine Newton. 
from uh, Detective Pikachu and many mm-hmm. others. I really like her as an actor, actually. Yeah, uh, and Michael Douglas is there, and Michelle Pfeiffer are there, mm-hmm. uh, bored out of their minds. <laughs> uh the Michelle Pfeiffer character had previously spent several decades in this microscopic universe, in the quantum yeah. realm. And she never told anybody about what happened there. Mm-hmm. It turns out she befriended a weary traveler who had fallen out of the sky one day while she was down there. Mm-hmm. Helped him fight off, like, microscopic monsters. Because there's this whole, whole whole retinue of characters and strange humanoid aliens mm-hmm. living down in there. In, in Marvel fantasy kind of way. Yeah. And he says, my ship is broken, the battery is busted, I need your help to fix it. And she uh, ends up befriending this guy, This is he's played by Jonathan Majors. And she ends up fixing this battery, and when she puts it back in, it like psychically links her to his ship, and she learns who he is, and it turns out he's a supervillain yeah. named Kang the Conqueror. Mm. And he is... His motivations aren't stated very clearly in this movie. Mm. And I am mad, and I've been told who this character is is explained a lot more in the Loki TV series. So yes. if you don't know the Loki TV series, you're going to be a little lost here. He so- talks about a quest to erase entire timelines mm-hmm. and how he's seeking to conquer lands there, but also kill him, like other versions of himself and other timelines. The idea is the, that, uh, in, in short, in, mm. in, in like, there's like literally an entire episode dedicated to nothing but explaining King of the Conqueror. Okay. But in short. Because I didn't see the Loki show. So in short, is... in the distant future, there is a character named Kang. Uh, there were a whole bunch of different versions of him. Mm. Uh, and, all, all from different times. And they were all conquerors yeah. and they all went to war against each other. Okay. Until one of them finally won. And in order to prevent all the other Kangs from fighting him, he created what's, I think it's called the Time Variance Authority, which basically pruned any multiverse from happening. There's okay. one proper timeline and it's the timeline that brings us to that Kang. All right. And therefore, if anytime someone... Just say went, that in the movie. You someone said it went, in a minute. I know. Anytime someone went back in time uh-huh. and created an alternate timeline, the Time Variance Authority deleted that timeline from existence. All right. That's the whole thing. Uh, and so, but at the end of Loki, uh, they killed that Kang or something happened with that Kang and now the multiverse is back and now there are a whole bunch of different Kangs. All right. And they're all really, really dangerous. Okay. Boom. Oh, uh, yeah. We meet, we meet one and, uh, you know, uh, the Catherine Newton character, first of all, she says something in this movie, which I th- found mm-hmm. um, very telling about how badly they're trying to relate any of the Marvel stuff to the real world. What's that? Uh, she was arrested early in the movie, uh, mm-hmm. and, and uh, Scott Lang, who's played by Paul Rudd, yeah. goes to pick her up from prison. In a cute scene, she pulls a cop car out of her pocket. She shrank it because he has shrinking technology. Yeah, sure. Uh, and she says, a lot of people were left homeless by the blip. Why isn't there a movie devoted just to that? Uh-huh. Like the real world implications of half of the universe being absent for five years and then suddenly being back mm-hmm. again. They Some of that was discussed in some of the shows. Okay. But mostly it wasn't. It's, it's all been done in passing in the movies. Yeah. In in one of the Spider-Man movies, they, they treat it like it's comedy. It's like, oh yeah, and a boyfriend showed up and gave somebody a heart attack. It's like... Yeah. Everyone okay. came back. Everyone came back to the school and How it about, turns out like the guys who were freshmen are now seniors and that's weird. Yeah, it's yeah. like fun little personal stuff. What about food supplies? Yeah. What about well, travel? Whole... What about lodging? Well, like and, these... uh, that was that, travel was part of the point of uh, Captain America, or, or rather uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Okay. Uh, because during the blip, um, because the population of Earth was literally carved in half, mm. uh, the idea of sovereign nations with like very strict immigration laws 
changed. Yeah, yeah. Because it was less of an issue, and we actually needed more people in certain places. And so that actually was, for many people, a very positive change. And as soon as everything got unblipped, it all went back, and now there are all these people who are now disenfranchised again. And there was mm-hmm. the character Flag Smasher was trying to... It's, it's a bad name, all but the whole point is they were trying to basically say fuck sovereign nations like this is all uh, yeah see so, so that was interesting it was an interesting uh, yeah, have, idea. have those concepts here in here instead yeah. we have uh yeah the catherine newton character has invented a device that can map the quantum realm by like sending signals down there mm-hmm. and that uh is it for a science project just a study because okay so she's, she's, they're, she's they're all interested too. in shrinking technology yeah, okay. another another girl genius they're, mm-hmm. they're pretty common in this universe uh, we, we just, cool. Uh, no, it's fine. Uh, you know, just it's a cliche. There's plenty of dude geniuses already. Why not? Yeah, uh, th- you're either middle-aged men dude geniuses or teenage girl geniuses. That's that's where we get the geniuses. Yeah, because there was also one in in uh, Wakanda Forever. Sure. Uh, she she built her own Iron Man suit. That first Iron Man. There's suit There's two in Wakanda Forever because Shuri uh, is a, is a genius as well. That's she's right. Young, yeah. and then there's uh, the new uh, her superhero name is Iron Heart. Yeah, that's Iron that's Heart what is, yeah, Riri, so got more, Riri yeah. Williams, I think, is the character. Yeah, Riri name. Um, yeah, she she does like sort of rudimentary Iron Man suit. Like, okay, that looks like something somebody could build in in Marvel universe in sure, a garage. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Catherine Newton's genius. She sends some signals down into the quantum verse. This cracks open the the experiment, and they all got sucked in. Mm. Uh, and for no reason whatsoever, Michelle Pfeiffer continues to not tell them the Kang story. Mm. Like, I, I don't want to come back here. Kang is here. She doesn't even say Kang is here. It's like, I don't want to tell anybody about this Kang character. They wander about. There's some interesting aliens, but the film is so badly edited. We don't mm. ever get it like a good hard look at any of them. They mm. just sort of like pass by. Uh, one character is psychic, uh, but he, he's played by the actor who played uh, Chidi in The Good Place. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, I, forget I forgot the actor's name. I forget name. his name as well. I'm gonna, yeah, they meet gonna... these characters. They're given so little time to like establish who they are. They're more more or less just a look. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the story is um, the battery. William that, Jackson Harper. William Jackson Harper, that's it. Yeah, really good actor. Uh, okay. The battery that Kang had was um, like damaged by shrinking technology. And so he's... Mm. Kidnapped the Catherine Newton character to coerce Ant Man into fixing it. Meanwhile, Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer, and the Wasp, and the Wasp, who's like an afterthought in this movie, she has hardly any scenes or any like significant scenes, uh, are sort of on his tail. And it's about mm-hmm. a, a big uh, scene is um, a lot of the movie is trying to track these characters. Kang is trying to track these characters down. He sent a hunter after them. The hunter is Modoc. Yay! You're the one, huh? Oh, there's <laughs> some people who like Modoc. Modoc is, is a, a very silly character. A very silly, even in, in his construct, has a giant, oversized human head with little tiny, spindly arms and legs, mm-hmm. like dangling off. Modoc sign, uh, originally stands for mobile organism designed only for killing. Mm-hmm. Um, Designed well, originally, it was designed for computation, and then it turned mm. evil and turned into Modok the killer. Uh, Modok has has an interesting. He's just a, he's just a really weird looking character. Um, there have been some really wonderful Modok stories in the comics. Uh, <laughs> there's one I really liked was from uh, there was an all ages Avengers comic where they did a Modok story where Modok turned all of the Avengers into Modoks. Oh, so they're all just heads. Yeah, yeah. it was really really fun. Uh, there was one. It was a really good one. I think it was called like. Modox 11 where he got a whole bunch of like 
kind of crappy supervillains together to pull off the ultimate heist. That's pretty cute. That was really, really fun. I, I think that, but I think they understand that Modoc is... There was Modoc a Pat Oswalt TV show as well. That's right. Well, I was going to yeah. mention that. that I think yeah. they understand that Modoc is kind of an absurd character. Yeah. And, it's, hard uh, to take, it's hard to take so him they, entirely seriously. They gave Modoc uh, his own show, but it was an animated sitcom where yeah. it's like Modoc has settled down and married a human woman and they had a yeah. child and it's about him trying to be a supervillain but also deal with domesticity. Straight out of like Adult Swim kind of stuff. Yeah. And yeah, and Patton Oswalt uh, was the showrunner and also played Modoc. Yeah, um, I don't know where this fits into the multiverse, but we'll I'm sure see. it's in there somewhere. I'm sure yeah. we know that animation exists in the multiverse because we saw it yeah. in Doctor Strange. Oh, oh, that's right. There's like so a so technically a animation universe. is yeah. yeah, technically animation is part of the multiverse, or at least it, it would mm. be. And, and yeah, that's also the mm. big deal with Spider-Man now is all this multiverse yeah, stuff. Exactly. Uh, I I can't even. I can't bring myself to get excited about multiple versions of one character meeting each other. Looks it's, like they've been done that one too many times. Here's the deal. Do it's, that on D, the, the DC comics look, movies as well. The multiverse is a concept that used to be relegated to comic books and other like weird sci-fi mm. stories. They weren't very mainstream. A lot of people would sort of go like the whataverse, mm. which is fine. You don't need to know what that is. That's not, that's not important to your daily life. Uh, but I think the Marvel universe and the Spider-Man movies in particular Brought it into the mainstream enough that now, like a movie as weird as everything everywhere all at once, can be mainstream. Yeah, well, I think that's cool. Well, the idea of like running into your parallel self from another universe mm-hmm. is quite old. Um, yeah, the, uh, I, I don't have you know facts and figures in front mm-hmm. of me, but I, I there is at least one episode of. Uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation, where mm-hmm. they run into parallel universes. Back Trek to the Mirror, 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 the yeah. evil universe I've, back I've, in the sixties. Older uh, stories as well. Um, yeah. I, I I wrote an article for Slash uh, last week uh, that was about how we really don't give Last Action Hero enough credit for introducing the idea of a multiverse well, because like, last... that is a, a pop media multiverse, specifically a pop media yeah. multiverse. Because the idea of the MCU is that the the multiverse isn't just alternate versions of the character, but every movie you've seen is at least potentially a multiverse. Yeah. So if you know they introduce a new version of the X Men, the old version from the Fox movies is still part of the multiverse, etc. Um, Last Action Hero introduced that concept when a kid in the so-called real world jumps into a movie, finds out that that's a whole other universe that keeps going when the camera isn't rolling, when mm. people aren't in the real world aren't and, seeing and it. it. And it abides by movie rules. So yeah. like the illogic of feature films is just a, a law of physics in that universe. Yeah, exactly. It's so like everyone's number begins with 555, so they have more area codes. There oh, yeah. you go. Cops are very adept at shooting cars that just instantly explode. That's yeah. the way universes work here. Yeah. Uh, so, but the, the thing that really blows the mind, however, is that all those movies are interconnected, and if you're in a movie, let's say you're in an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, like in Last Action Hero, and you go to a video store and you want to rent Terminator 2, Arnold Schwarzenegger didn't star in that. Mm. That's who Arnold Schwarzenegger ended up being in this universe. Someone else had to replace them in that movie. Yeah. So in Last Action Hero, Sylvester Stallone mm-hmm. starred in Terminator 2. Yes. Okay. But that means that that's true for every other movie in the multiverse. Uh, every other multiverse. Oh. So every movie in which someone is played by an actor, like if if you're watching, I don't know, some Jennifer Aniston movie, mm. if they watched Friends in that universe, Jennifer Aniston was not in that show. <laughs> they actually did a fun bit. They did a, a, a Saturday Night Live bit where um, um, who was the one? In, it was in Parks and Recreation who used to do Weekend Update. Um, oh, I, I'm, the, I'm not sure. Uh, female comedian. 
Oh, Amy Poehler? Amy Poehler. Oh, okay. I just blanked. I, I, right. They're not obscure. I just blanked on their name. Okay. Amy Poehler did like a guest spot on Weekend Update as her character from Parks and Recreation like a couple of weeks ago. Oh, okay. And she talked about how her character in Parks and Recreation used to love watching Weekend Update back when, uh, was, it Seth, was it Seth Myers? Who Seth Myers, yeah. Back when Seth Myers used to host it all by himself. <laughs> because Amy Poehler oh, was funny, his co-host, yeah, yeah, which is yeah, like right. again the multiverse lives. <laughs> Weird. And then he realized that like characters, like actors in Last Action Hero, have been in the MCU. So if you're watching Last Action Hero and there's a character who's played by F. Murray Abraham, and F. Murray Abraham plays the god Khonshu in the Moon Knight TV series, mm-hmm. that means that if you're in the MCU and you watch La- and you watch Last Action Hero. That character isn't played by Jet by F. Murray Abraham, hmm. which means that character the actor also was in a different Amadeus. And then, even though you're in the Last Action Hero universe, Last Action Hero is in your universe. So there's a separate Last Action Hero universe within the MCU hmm. that is also infinite, but entirely confined to the MCU. And my head just exploded. This is way more interesting than the Ant-Man movie. It sounds yeah. it. <laughs> the Ant-Man movie is, is it's dull as toast. Okay, uh-huh. we got MODOK. Um, I hear Jonathan Majors is quite good. Well, he's he's doing as good as he can with nothing. Mm. Uh, Kang, it's implied that he wants to, like, kill off parallel timelines. But his actual motivation is never given. Like, he doesn't have one of those villain motivation speech, I will take over the universe. Does he like, have a MacGuffin he's looking at? Because that was one of the things that even the McGuff- before... Well, the MacGuffin was the battery for his ship. It's oh. which seems like pretty limp. It's like it's a battery. It's a like surely you can get another power source of some kind. Right, right? you're like an evil super genius, right? Yeah, uh, like because that's he, my whole thing. Like Thanos wanted the MacGuffin that was like spread across the universe. Yeah. He didn't know where they were, and even before we knew exactly what his motivation was in the MCU, which is a little different than it was in the comics, it was clear. Yeah, he he wants the battery for his ship because it's a, his ship is the thing that lets him travel through time and skip across dimensions. Mm-hmm. Like, you only have one of those? You didn't have, like, a contingency plan? You, you, that's, you put all your eggs in one basket here, mm-hmm. Kang. No, that, that was the spare. Yeah, uh, yeah if, 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 he had sa- if he had said that, it's like, I had 50 and this was the last one. Like, yeah, uh, like okay, I, I didn't well, think they would burn out so quickly. Like, yeah. if he revealed a little bit of pride or, or he something. Or you could have done something where, uh, like, he had a whole bunch and Michelle Pfeiffer blew him up. Oh, there you go. That yeah, would have been like, good. Like, he had a thousand in spare and she, she yeah. stole them all. And that um, would be why he hates her and why she really doesn't mm-hmm. want to go back. Oh, no, we're fine. Yeah. Uh, He's been conquering the quantum realm. Uh, he's mm. been not in a way that you'd notice. Like there's a few, <laughs> there's a few scenes where like these soldiers, like these sort of like robotic evil soldiers with guns charge in and like sort of like point guns at people. But again, it, it's well, I mean, they're it's... not so threatening, and it's not they don't spend so much time in it that you think that this is like an actually oppressed place. It's what, not you have to rely on dialogue. What, what, what is King? Here's here's a question. Mm. Um, because Thanos, all he wanted to do was kill. Well, because he's... he thought, because he thought by like basically thinning the herd of the whole universe, mm. that everything would thrive more. You know, like a cleansing it's... fire will help the, it, the it forest was, thrive. It was a matter of uh, resource allocation. Yeah, he, uh, he, he, he was... had a principle. It was a flawed yeah. principle, but it was a principle. Well, it, he he had a legitimate concern about yeah. sort of environmental problems and overpopulation of yeah. the universe at large. Yeah, and his only solution because. 
His flaw is that he has no imagination. The yeah. only way he can really solve this problem was to kill people. Yeah, it's a it's a terrible uh, insipid and, plan. Yeah. And he gets this this like wish making machine. You think he'd put it on and say, "Okay, now there's fifty times as many resources, and yeah. they're being properly allocated." Or living beings uh, need fewer resources to live. Yeah, by. I will alter yeah. the biology of everybody. And the they universe don't need is as bigger, much, and now there's more places for people. There's he could a million, have, could have done any of that, a million but, different things he could have done. And also, when you have the Infinity Gauntlet, you're you, you you have the capacity to be omniscient. Also, so yeah, you'd think be a no better reason. solution would come to yeah. you. I would have loved to have seen him like put the last one on. I was like, oh, wait. Guys, I thought of a better idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that would have been great. It, it, better it, way to end that movie. It's it's, it's too powerful MacGuffin, really, for that. Yeah. But my, my, point, my point was this. We know what Thanos is about. Um, Kang wants to conquer, specifically. Mm-hmm. That's in his name. Well, so he conquers this place. He's running it, right? Yeah, he wants to conquer it, but he's also given this additional uh, motivation where he wants to kill off other timelines and that's right. not made clear until you told me mm-hmm. that he's like trying to ch- clean the timeline so it gets to his own birth mm-hmm. which say that please yeah. just say that in this movie yeah uh maybe it was said in loki but it wasn't said here i want to hear my, it i don't my um, whole thing is when you when you have a character who wants to conquer mm. that means you want to rule yeah to what end yeah what is the power and what, what are you he, gonna do with that like dr doom wants to rule the world because he genuinely thinks he'd do a good job well, even if you look at uh, you like a, a badly written, very shallow character like uh, Emperor Palpatine, yeah, from especially specifically from the Star Wars prequel films that George Lucas yeah. directed, he wants power because he likes power. <sighs> he said it, and mm-hmm. he kind of gets off on it a little bit. Yeah. Power for its own sake. At least he says it. Yeah, uh, you know, the the you know he's shooting lightning from his hands, going unlimited was, power. Some pe- so know, some bad people in the real world, people who yeah. do terrible things. They're not necessarily complicated. Yeah, they want Sometimes power for its own sake. That's the way it works do. in the real world. A lot of um, people do. That's not. A, it's not an unreasonable motivation for a character in a movie. Yeah. So if you, you said, have to I be want clear power for it. its own sake, and just say it. Uh, yeah. n- none of that's given. Yeah. Jonathan Majors is quite a good actor. Mm-hmm. He's a great actor, and he he's kind of tries to do that sort of like quiet threat thing. It's like I yeah. I will not do what you say. <sighs> okay. Um, I'm gonna kill her in front of you. All right. How about that? Oh well, shit. You know, like it's mm-hmm. very casual kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. He's so powerful that nothing you nothing yeah. you do or say can rile him. You are uh, beneath but, his scorn. Yeah. Um, so that there's a little bit of a threat, and I understand that he's motivated by ego, which mm-hmm. makes him intellectually at oh, least more. Oh no, compli- ego is in this movie. Did they get Kurt Russell back? Oh, not that ego. Oh. No, by his own ego, oh. by the concept of ego. There's a small little planet in his yeah. pocket. Sh- oh, they they could shrink them all. Yeah, there's <laughs> all those. Sh- they could. Why not? Shrink. Yeah. That's a good um, point. Yeah. So yeah, that that's sort of a writing problem. Visually, it's very muddy. Uh, mm-hmm. There's no, it's all digital. It's all digital skies because they're yeah. in the quantum realm. They can't see you know, the sun above them. Yeah. So yeah, there's all these sort of like microscopic uh, paintings in the back, and it looks like nobody's in the room together. All these edits. And this uh, is the thing that amazes me. Like this is the critique that I've heard that I'm legitimately disappointed by, mm. because this is directed by Peyton Reed. He did the first two Ant Man movies. Yeah. Uh, and he. Is a fun visual stylist. Well, if you watch something like Down with Love, which that, Peyton Reed also did, exactly what I was about that, to bring that, up. That's that's a bright, colorful movie. It's reminiscent of films from the nineteen sixties. It's a, it's so, a, it's uh, a, it's a costume kind of, design. It's kind of a satire of the Doris Day, Rock Hudson yeah, uh, rom coms yeah. of the fifties. It is super widescreen, bright, colorful, mm-hmm. amazing production design and costumes. Um, it is the work of someone who has a vision and mm-hmm. a clear vision that they were able to articulate to other people, even when it's weird. 
And then you look at, like, even when you look at, like, I think especially Ant-Man 2, where they did a lot of really, really fun things with, like, size changing and, like, in the middle of car chases and stuff. Yeah. Lots of visual ingenuity mm. in that movie, you like, know? I think there's, like, a giant Pez machine. They grow yeah. and throw, and that's like, fun. The, oh, that's um, fun! Like, I, this is the thing that makes me wonder, is this just the MCU getting homogenized? Because yeah, if Peyton no, it, Reed can't make something visually interesting, that's disturbing. They, yeah, there's no there's no real wit to this. Uh, and there's a, a problem with the way they're using uh, sort of the superpowers. Mm-hmm. Uh at some point along the way in, in the Marvel universe, they introduced this notion that costumes no longer need to be changed into. Yeah. Like you can just sort of will it or strike a pose and the costume will like sort of magically mm-hmm. grow around you. Technology yeah. is there now, uh, which, okay. From a technological standpoint. Sure. I mean, look, uh, Iron Man had it. I yeah. assume he gave it to his friends. Yeah. And so Spider-Man had it. And uh, yeah. there, there was even a bit where Spider-Man's mask got ripped off, but because it's made of particles, yeah. it like infected the thing that ripped yeah. off his mask. Yeah. And so this big mechanical arm got infected by Spider-Man costume. It's a little mm. odd. Uh, which means the helmets that they wear, the masks they wear, just sort of like pop on and off like multiple times mm. within a shot. Yeah. It's like the filmmaker just wants somebody to like have a no mask on while the the actor can emote and yeah. then cover it while they can do digital stunt work. Right. It's really annoying. Yeah. Because the masks are kind of meaningless then. Why well, why the, wear them at all? Well, the and masks are meaningless because in yeah. the MCU, there's no secret identities the, to protect. Spider-Man's yeah. the only one. Spider-Man's the only major character who has a proper secret. I guess the Eternals, but like the only major character who had a proper secret identity. And a lot of the things that we take for granted about superheroes, that's part of the fun of them only makes sense if you do have a secret identity. This is one of the mm. reasons why whenever a character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe gets their superhero name, it's always like a little joke. Yeah. And then they get stuck with it like it's a bad nickname. Like, you had a superhero name because you didn't tell anyone your real name because that was a secret. Yeah. Because this is a power fantasy about living a separate life from your real life so that you had some grounding. You had a life that was recognizable to the audience or the reader as something that they could recognize. And then off in the corner, there's a part of you that is uh, special yeah, or, you're, you're, or odd. The it's, secret you, identity lets you, know. you uh, sort of picture a version of your life where you yeah. can do this and no one else knows. Exactly. Like, like and that's, that's anybody a big can be part a superhero. of it. So, and, and listen, you remove that, fine, but you also have to remove the accoutrement of that. So if everyone knows that Scott Lang is Ant-Man, hmm. he doesn't need to wear that helmet unless it's required for his job. Yeah. There's no reason. So all of these things that we take for granted are gone. And this is, I was bringing this up, I have this problem with the MCU right now, and I, I don't think it precludes them from making good movies, I just think it makes it harder, mm. uh, is they have moved so far away, especially with all the main characters, from anything remotely resembling a real world that the audience can recognize. And mm. I don't mean just that there's fantasy creatures in it, I mean just day-to-day life is weird. Yeah, yeah. Um, that we're at a point now where... Um, the stories don't have the same emotional impact. Mm. Um, There's some characters you can get away with that, like Thor Ragnarok is super duper weird, but Thor is a weird character, so fine. But um, well, and, and you have like a in that case in particular, the filmmaker had like yeah. a sense of humor about it. Yeah, they turned it into a comedy film. Yeah, which yeah. But then, but then the problem is, is that in Thor: Love and Thunder, which was very stinky, uh, they tried to bring that back into something real by having a character who was dying of a very real world disease, and you're telling me. You've got nanobots that can, like, give you unlimited power Iron Man armor at, like, mm-hmm. a blink of an eye, and you haven't been curing cancer? Yeah. Like, at some point, the disconnect starts getting really weird, and... 
we're no longer starting off at a place that the audience recognizes and really, really cares about, which is why I think some of the better MCU stuff of late Hmm. has been the stuff that was either super high concept like WandaVision or was when they're introducing new characters like the new uh, Ms. Marvel or even She-Hulk because those characters start off at a baseline. Here's a teenager Mm. who is a fan of superheroes and a world where superheroes are real, they would have fans. Mm. And now you get to be one for yourself. Neat. I, I can I can work with that. That That's plausible to me. I, I recognize that. It would be like, I'm a fan of a TV show and now I get to be in it. Mm. That's a story. Why not? She-Hulk. What's it like being a lawyer in a world of superheroes? You're still doing lawyer stuff. I mean, it's it's not yeah, very well, realistic lawyer stuff, but it's still, well, but it's superhero lawyer. But like, and you can wrap that, your head around it, and, and it involves like a detail of yeah. a superhero universe that yeah. would need to be addressed. So, they, so again, you almost, wrap your head around that yeah, concept. You almost like, did a, yeah. a, a, a movie or a TV series based on a book called Dam- Damage Control. Yeah, which was about uh, just regular humans mm. whose job it was, mm. uh, like they were government agents who had to just clean up superhero battles. Yeah, and the idea in the because comics a thirty was foot that... robot, you knock it over in the city, and the bad guys vanquished. But what do you do with that thirty foot robot? Exactly, so thirty foot yeah. robots. Got... In the comics, they were so good at cleaning stuff up because they had all the sci fi technology and stuff that a, a, an alien could like level a city block in New York City, and then within a week, by the time the next back, issue yeah. that takes place in, in New York is up. It's all fine. Mm. <laughs> we're we're just that good. <laughs> I, I want more of that. Yeah. In these well, I, th- I, think, I don't. I, I don't want these yeah. action pictures where there's just these sort of like flaccid digital uh, well, landscapes that are being without any kind of like wit or choreography, mm-hmm. just sort of being presented as if they're supposed to be exciting well, when they're not. I, I think what what the real thing here is that I think we're missing an emotional core to a lot of these movies. Mm. The emotional core to Thor Love and Thunder was all over the fucking place. The emotional core to Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness was missing. <laughs> like theoretically it's there, but yeah. uh, Wanda has just been turned into like a very, I know it's all emotional, but frankly after WandaVision it feels redundant. Uh, and Doctor Strange isn't going through anything terribly interesting himself. Uh, those are just plot movies. Even when they do try to do something emotional, it falls really, really flat because there's too much plot. The the ones that I thought really, really worked in this latest wave, and again, I haven't seen Ant-Man, so maybe I'll like it more than you, who can say? Um, Spider-Man No Way Home I thought worked because it was about the character going through something, trying to solve a problem, and, and being yeah, tested like an, on a personal level. And there's there's like an ethic to it. There's, yeah, it's about exploring their ethos. So that's something where, <clears throat> even when everything else around it is really, really crazy, what we're dealing with is Spider-Man trying to be responsible. Good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, I again, I, it's a sloppy movie. And in fact, I think that's something I can say about any of the Marvel movies, from Eternals onward. They're all sloppy, even No Way <laughs> Home, which is very good. They're just big sloppy kisses of a movie. Mm-hmm. Black Panther I'm more sympathetic to because they had a plan and then Chadwick Boseman sadly passed away and they had to figure out something else to do. Yeah, they could so, have re- they didn't decided not to recast him, so they yeah. rewrote the story without the character. But the thing is is that what that gave the movie is an emotional core. Mm. It is a film about mourning. All there's a lot of other incidental stuff which uh-huh. detracts from that, but at the core these are characters who are actually feeling something real. And something that the other movies won't let them feel. There's more loss. There's more sense of loss in Black Panther and Wakanda Forever mm. than there was in Endgame, where half the universe died. Because in that one, the loss was, we're going to feel it for a couple of minutes at the beginning. Yeah. And then we're going to move on. No. <laughs> 
after a while, these characters have been through so much weird shit that it doesn't phase them and it doesn't challenge them and it doesn't make them grow anywhere. We, we have a podcast on a Patreon where we talk about uh, Star Trek mm. a lot. <laughs> we do an episode of uh, one podcast for every episode of Star Trek ever. And we just talked about how there's a character in Star Trek Next Generation, uh, William Riker, who reached his the end of his character arc at the end of season three. That's a, of a, a show that would go on to last seven seasons. Yeah, so, yeah. so his character isn't nowhere to go. That doesn't mean there's nothing wrong with the character. It just means there's a lot less you can do with him. Much like Beverly Crusher never really had much of an arc to begin with. Yeah. Again, fine, but it's harder to build stories around someone who's just seen it all and doesn't have anywhere to go. And after a while, it just becomes what more plot can you throw at them? Mm. So... So yeah, the, the, a while back there was like an inflection point at some point in the MCU, where uh, it became more about its own internal mechanisms yeah. than it became about anything recognizably emotional or human. It has to be self-sustaining. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's only fueled by itself. All of the big emotional beats come uh, are predicated on sort of the mechanics of the universe rather mm-hmm. than something uh, an average viewer could relate yeah, to. So something that could it's, happen if the Marvel yeah. Universe didn't exist. Yeah, uh, it's it's all become a soap opera. And mm-hmm. that's not necessarily a bad thing, but no. it is it is when you're trying to make a single uh, good action film or mm-hmm. even a chapter or an episode of something that's mm-hmm. uh, sort of ongoing. Uh, this is another one of those films that does sag under the weight of its own... Uh, a place in the larger universe mm-hmm. a because they're not filling it in because uh, like plot de- details because those were given in loki and you can tell that they're also setting up this kang character yeah. for uh films down the line mm-hmm. uh press releases has already said there's an upcoming film in like two and a half years named after kang yeah it's, it's the avengers, avengers, the, avengers colon, the, kang the kang dynasty is coming yeah. in like 2025 or 26 yeah um so we know this character is going to be important going forward yeah it doesn't mean we're uh, it, interested. No, if you're going to make a new sort of exciting villain, give me more than just some sort of like intellectual idea that he's driven by ego. That's dangerous mm-hmm. if you want to sort of think it out, but it, I'm not feeling it in this. He does no dr- dramatic to, half. That's the thing. We need to feel this stuff. Mm. And if it feels academic, if it feels like... Yeah, and then this, so there's, if, if there comes a point, I feel like, in some Marvel movies where like there was some fun stuff in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Mm. But I'll be perfectly frank, this could have been a Wikipedia page. <laughs> exactly, yeah. This could I, I have been like, a Wikipedia page. So I'm not feeling much of anything yeah. in Ant-Man. Yeah. I'm not thrilled by anything in Ant-Man. I'm not yeah. dazzled by anything in Ant-Man. I'm not even amused by the humor. It's all so mm. rote now. Yeah. They, they took an actor like Paul Rudd, and it's weird that this is like the least charming role he's ever had. Wow. And he's Paul Rudd. He is Paul Rudd. Like... He's inherently charming. He... he yeah, he he could he could play a mud puddle and make it charming. Oh, shit, like if you seriously, if you actually told me, if you actually asked me, Bibbs, who is the Cary Grant of this generation? Paul mm. Rudd might be my pick. Yeah, he's, because he's, he's just that effortlessly likable. Mm. And, you know, and they're not even they're not letting him sort of have the leeway to be charming when yeah. he's playing this character. They're, they're having him fulfill sort of a, the broader function of the corporate story and golly this film is just not rising above it is just staying way down at the bottom it is not interesting if you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes insomnia brain fog moodiness or weight gain you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging the experts at midi health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause 
and MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Well, let's move on from these franchise movies because we have actually a whole bunch of other movies. <laughs> Remember other movies? <laughs> you can go see them. Uh, I want to talk about a new film I saw uh, that is genuinely wonderful, and I really hope a lot of people see it, even though uh, by its very nature, uh, that's unlikely, <laughs> because it's just not that kind of a broad entertainment. Uh, this is uh, a film, and I hope I'm not going to butcher this name. Uh, it's written and directed by Goran Stolevsky. All right. Uh, it is a film that uh, about a Serbian immigrant living in Australia in 1999. Okay. He's a teenager. He's like 17. Uh, and his best friend uh, is also his ballroom dancing partner. Mm -hmm. And today is the day. And most of this movie takes place over the course of 24 hours. Today is the day of the big ballroom dancing competition. And they're supposed to be there in a couple of hours. She wakes up. Doesn't know where she is. Okay. She did speed last night. Oh shoot! It's so and now she has but no idea where the fuck she is. A, and it's and it's the hangover scenario. And it's 1999, so they don't have like smartphones or fast internet or anything like that. So like, where are you? I have no idea where I am. Oh, do you have any identifying markers? The beach. Hmm. This is Australia. <laughs> We're surrounded. The whole the beach is everywhere. And so he finds out that she's actually really far away, and he has to find someone who has a car, who mm. isn't her mom, who can drive and get her there and hopefully get them back in time for the big ballet competition. And, they decide, and the only person they can get to is her older brother, who mm. they've never really talked to before. He was a few years older than them. He's out of high school by the time they were really in it. And so he's now stuck in a car with this older guy. And they're just driving to pick her up from God knows where. They don't know if they'll be able to find her. They're, the odds of them making it in time for the competition are infinitesimal, but they're going to try. And then the movie blossoms. <laughs> because for a while, we're just stuck in a car and like a little road trip in real time with two very hunky dudes. <laughs> One of them is clearly gay. Hmm. One of whom is clearly not realized that he's gay, but will today, because they are stuck in a car talking about books that they've read and listening to the soundtrack of Wong Kar Wai movies. Oh my god. And I'm watching this movie, I'm like, oh, I remember the 90s. Oh, this is great. Because <laughs> it's not only set in the 90s, and it feels it too. It doesn't feel like in a very wedding singer jokey kind of way. Just, uh, um... What's on the radio? A Tori Amos B-side. Boom. 90s. You did it. Yeah. Uh, Remember Screaming Trees? Yeah, like that kind of vibe. So, but but not but not on a call out, this is going to be the best selling soundtrack ever. Just, mm. this is the music we're listening to. Um, it's It feels like a 90s low budget indie hangout movie. Where the whole thing is, we don't have a lot of money. And we're shooting on film. I don't mm. think this movie did, but you know, expensive to do. Um, what have we got? We got two actors. We got a car. And hopefully good dialogue. Hmm. And that's the vibe. And you know what? The dialogue sparkles. 
The characters are really, really great. They spend the whole movie in the car that, that goes around. They spend like a whole day in and out as this guy mm. kind of gradually realizes that, oh, this guy is this guy I'm in the car with is gay. Oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Half hour conversation later, I know exactly how I feel about that. I I I want to make out with him. <laughs> maybe I will, but I probably won't. Or maybe I will. And they go to parties, and there's whole the whole mess of shenanigans. It turns out that this is like the 24 hours that really changed this young man's life. Okay. And towards the end of the movie, the very the, end of the, the movie. The day I fell in love. Yeah, the, the day, day I fell in love, the day I found myself, the day I came, realized my identity, the, the day I realized what the world had, could have in store for me. And then later on in the movie, cuts ahead like 10 years to when he comes back home mm-hmm. after a long time. And I'm not going to ruin what happens there, but I think the movie does such a wonderful job of conveying this day as a whole day. It doesn't feel like we only, it was just, it, it feels like the, the day was lived in and we got the full yeah. experience. And making it seem like it really was that important, even though on the surface, not a lot technically happened. Yeah. You know, there wasn't a car chase, nobody died. But it was the most important day in this character's life and we see how it changed them many years later and it's just wonderfully mature and emotional and romantic and sexy and sweet. The cast is really, really great. Uh, it's got a really good ending. I really like the exact spot it ends. I think it picked the right moment. Mm. Um... I love it. Please okay. see of an age. It's really good. It's again, it's kind of a low fidelity film in a lot of ways, so be ready to just hang out with these characters. But they're really well drawn characters. Like <laughs> I loved meeting them. I loved hanging out with them. I love falling in love with them. Like it's really good. So please see this movie. I love this movie. Alright. Sounds great. Yeah. Tell me about, I don't know, <laughs> tell me about another movie. Tell me about Swallowed. Okay, Swall- uh, this is a film I saw at, uh, at a film festival, and it's finally mm. uh, reaching audiences, so I can talk about it. Um, Yay! This is, that uh, doesn't always happen. No, sometimes the, uh, the the festival films just sort of stay there. I- I've seen some movies... never get American distribution. I- I've seen good movies at film festivals that never got released. Mm. Like, this is, it's been like three or four years. I have no idea if that movie's ever getting released. Yeah, yeah. I, it was good. I liked mm. it. I don't understand. Yeah, weird. And, and I can't, like, bring up what I saw at a festival, because I think it's a little gauche. Um, well, I mean, if you're reviewing it out of the festival. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, you weren't reviewing it in official capacity, though. No, right? I was yeah. sitting on the jury. So yeah, so I, that's, yeah, that I would be uh, different, yeah. So yeah uh, but now it's out, and but there, there's, some, there's some good movies yeah. that I saw that I can't mention yet. But this one mm. came out. It's called Swallowed. Uh, not to be confused with Swallow from mm-hmm. 2019, I think that movie came out. Not very long ago. Yeah, Easy um, to confuse. In fact, I actually made that mistake when you first told yeah, they, me. Like, I was like, didn't that come out already? There was a movie called Swallow uh, from a couple of years ago about a, a woman who gets pregnant. She's very affluent. And she uh, begins impulsively swallowing dangerous objects that aren't food. Things like tacks and pins and screwdrivers yeah. and kind of does you know, a number on her insides. Yeah. Uh, and it's... Yeah. Kind of, and and it 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 starts out feeling like it's a little bit of a horror premise, but then it starts to go into like the psychology, and this is actually a real phenomenon. Yeah. Uh, so that's actually a, a little bit more of a thoughtful film than it sounds like. Okay. Uh, this film is a little bit more. Um, it starts out really horrific and lascivious, and again goes into something a little bit different by the end. This is a film from Carter Smith, who did that film, The Ruins, from a couple of years ago. I mean, oh, I like that movie. About, like uh, about fifteen years ago at this point. Yeah, that movie's great. Uh, I mean, it's it's. 
about characters making terribly stupid decisions, uh-huh. but they're stupid characters, so it's fine. <laughs> I, there's like, so many movies. Written to be there's stupid. so many scenes in that movie that make you wince just thinking about them. Like, yeah. So uh, this guy knows like body horror. There's like roots in that movie that like invade people's bodies. Yeah. Uh, this is about um, two friends. Uh, one of them is about to move to L.A. to be, to uh, make his big break in the world of porn. He's uh, okay. going to be a gay porn star. And uh, his best friend is kind of in love with him, but doesn't really say it. And says, you know, before you go, we need to make a, a little bit of extra cash. We can be drug mules. What a wonderful idea. Mm. And they go to, uh, yeah, we'll just like swallow some drugs and we'll go off. And they go to meet their contacts. Uh, she's played by Jenna Malone, mm-hmm. who I think was also in The Ruins, if I recall. She was. Um, she yeah. was. I love Jenna Malone. She's wonderful. Very underappreciated actor, mm. if you ask me. Yeah. Jenna Malone has always been great. Mm. Uh, I remember she was in one of those uh, uh, Hunger Games movies. Uh, she, was, were, uh, she was in the second one onward, I think, yeah. Yeah, and uh, she, there's a scene in one of the late films, like, okay, we have to, like, invade the, the government building and take out the bad guys. And and she, like, sneaks in and is like, okay, I leave you here. It's like, no, go with them, Jenna Malone. I want to see you do this. <laughs> Please! This is the fun part. Yeah. But uh, she, these, these two young men, uh, one of them is played by Cooper Koch, and um, they figure out that this is not being a drug mule isn't as romantic as they thought it might be it's actually really threatening they're not told what kind of drugs they're meant to smuggle and have to swallow uh swallow uh condoms full of yeah whatever the drug is that tracks and uh over the course of the movie they discover the nature of the drug they're smuggling it's not drugs it's a drug that they're deriving from like these living organisms, like these little worms are in the drugs and that might invade their systems. Yeah. So yeah, there's the weird kind of body horror element there. But partway through the movie, it stops being about that uh, because the main character ends up being taken in by uh, one of the drug lords. Mm. And he's played by Mark Patton, who was the main character from A Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Oh, it's good to see him back. Yeah. Um, okay. And in fact, uh, Mark Patton was the subject of a re- recent documentary on Shudder. Yeah, called, called Scream Queen. Scream Queen. With and, a comma uh, in the middle. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's about the phenomenon of Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. Yeah. Uh, it's queer text and what a number that did on Mark Patton's psyche, mm-hmm. uh, making this pretty... To us now, it's pretty clearly queer, but at the time yeah. it was seen as like sort of coded and yeah. that Mark Patton himself was gay and was like semi closeted at the time. Yeah. And that uh, movie, did, that uh, movie codified him in Hollywood's eyes as queer at a time mm. when there weren't roles for that. Yeah. Yeah. And like, so it kind of, you. kind of damaged yeah. his career. It, and, it destroyed and his there's, career. there's a pretty damning uh, scene in that movie where he finally gets to confront the director mm-hmm. of nightmare two. I think it's Jack shoulder. Um, yeah, it's Jack shoulder. And, uh, and how they never saw eye to eye on what that movie was supposed to be about mm-hmm. and how Jack Shoulder didn't really fully appreciate what that film did and what the mm-hmm. film was doing to uh, yeah. uh, Mark Patton's career. Yeah. Mark Patton plays this kind of uh, like almost lascivious, uh, like predator kind of character mm-hmm. who he's a drug Lord, but after a while we begin, we begin to see him sort of zeroing in on uh, the main character, um, the uh, 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 mm. Cooper Koch character, kind of zooming in on him, and it become for a long period, all of that body horror stuff goes away, and it's just about hit like the scenario starting to form where he might be uh, held prisoner 
by the Mark Patton character, mm. like in, in this like sort of weird uh, sexual servitude, which the Mark Patton character is selling as vaguely romantic. And uh, I think those dynamics near the end of the movie are a much more interesting drama than the kind of drug horror we got through like the first three quarters of it. Mm. So uh, weird. It's two different movies going on at once, and I think the second one is a lot more interesting. Unfortunately, because so much of it is devoted to the drug running story, it becomes a lot less interesting yeah. overall. Interesting. But we have some interesting actors. We have some mm. interesting characters, and there's some fun concepts that they're kind of kicking around without like really fully engaging. Yeah. Uh, I at least appreciate that there are some in- some interesting concepts. Um. Yeah. It's it it's um. I wish it was like thinking itself out a little bit more. I wish there were a little bit more of an essay in, in this, but uh, as it stands, it's, it's very emotionally immediate. It's very raw and there's plenty of like good violent gore. If you're looking for people to like sort of explode from the inside and get really deep into that sort of body horror stuff, Who isn't? it backs off. Well, I mean, horror movie fans, you know, yeah. I, I like, I like good gore, uh, but yeah, it it feels like it backs off after a while and ends up becoming something a little bit more mature as a result. Mm. So I, I think it's going to disappoint everybody as a oh. result. It's neither fish nor fowl. Uh, horror fans won't it won't go as far as they want, and the people who are sort of interested in the drama won't get enough of it. It won't be all about that. Oh man, I I, I saw better movies than you this I week. Think you did okay. Yeah. Well, I saw uh, I saw in a movie called Return to Soul. Uh-huh. Uh, technically, it's a movie from last year. Uh, it was eligible for Academy Award consideration. Didn't get any. Um, having finally seen it, I think that was a mistake. Uh, I think there's at least there's at least some some incredible work being done here. Uh, it is uh, from director Davy Chow, mm-hmm. uh, and it stars a wonderful actor. Like seriously, what a captivating performance uh, from Park Ji Min. Mm-hmm. Uh, she plays a woman. Uh, she was born in Korea, but she was given up mm-hmm. for adoption. And raised in France. Okay. She is now an adult. She's, I think, in her late 20s. And she has very suddenly, very unexpectedly, uh, had an opportunity to go to Korea for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And she's initially, seems like she's just there to to party, be young, sleep around, you know, have an adventure. Yeah. But she, she finds out that it's actually pretty easy to... Go to the adoption center, which was responsible for her adoption, and request that they reach out to her birth parents. Okay. They're going to reach out to her birth parents. They're going to send them messages. They're going to send them a couple of messages. And if they don't respond, that's that. Hmm. They're under no obligation to do so. Um, and over the course of the film, she hears back from her parents. Uh, she spends most of the time, like initially, uh, she hears back from her father, and her father has been very emotional about this whole thing, her th- their whole lives, mm. her whole life in particular, but his whole life has very much been part of this. Um, and she goes to meet him and his family, and he really wants to connect with her, and he's texting her constantly, and it's super uncomfortable. And she's deciding whether or not she even wants to know this guy like, oh. like at all, just because he's kind of annoying and clingy. Mm. Meanwhile, her mother is not contacting her at all, and she wonders, will she ever meet this person? Uh, the movie jumps around in time a bit over the course of the film, and we see her a little later. Not like, you know, in her 50s or anything like that, but mm. just like after this experience has settled in and changed her. Yeah. 
What I think is really interesting about the movie is I, I, I personally find these stories about um, searching for your birth parents. I know people go through this, and it's a very real uh, tale, but a lot of movies don't find new things to do with it. Hmm. Uh, So they can come across as, in a film, even though in real life this might be a very big deal, they can come across a little samey, or worse, hackneyed. Yeah. I mean, every type type of a story has its its cliches and its points. The the things that define it as a genre. When I was uh, in film school, I I took one of the screenwriting classes that I took. Everyone had to come up with uh, story and this is what they'd spend the entire quarter writing you're supposed yeah. to like have a complete outline and have written the first 30 pages by the end of 10 weeks um and we went around at the first day of class everyone like it's like a dozen people uh everyone gave their pitch here's the movie i swear to god 10 of them were people like on road trips to find their birth parents it was just uh. the story to tell yeah right now and again nothing wrong with that story but it's been done so many times you have to find a new way to do it. Return to Soul does that through really great character work. <laughs> That's what makes this really, really rich. It's not like full of weird plot stuff. It's basically, here's this absolutely fascinating young person. And she's magnetic. People are drawn to her. But the more they find out about her, the more they get to know her, the more they realize that She's cool to be around, but she has a lot of baggage that she isn't really dealing with. She can be really clingy. She can also be really distant at, at, at turns. And as we get to know her and we find out more about her birth parents and the, very little about people who raised her, actually, we realize that in ways that she is probably very uncomfortable admitting, she's very much like these people. <laughs> and so in sometimes very, very subtle ways, I think the very last bit in the movie is essentially uh, her coming to a bit of a harsh realization that if she gets things from her parents, it's not always the good stuff. And that's a really, really good story. I think it's a really, really... it's There's so many stories about child-parent relationships, and I feel like not often do we really get to the nuance of the older you get, the more you become your parents. People say that. And part of that is just because who you grow up with creates a baseline expectation for behavior that you decide to either uh, avoid or fall back on. Yeah. Uh, Which you probably end up falling back on in some regard, whether or not you realize you were doing it because it's all you knew. Here we're looking at the idea of like maybe biologically there are some elements here, but regardless, we're understanding some genuine subtleties in behavior and how they connect to people and how they push people away and attract other people and how uh, they make you a rich, complete person with really meaningful, obvious sometimes, but but very, very real flaws. Um, so as a character piece, I, I, I really admire this movie. I think it's an excellently made motion picture. Uh, and I think you should see it for two reasons, if nothing else. Hmm. One, Park G. Min. Holy shit, what a performance. <laughs> like, just a really, really great... What, what oh, my God, who is... Nothing! <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think they're literally brand new. Hold on a uh, second. Let me see if they're... Literally the only thing on their IMDb page. Wow, okay. Just right out of the gate. Boom. Awesome. Totally cool person. Um, and the other thing is... Really great soundtrack. Uh, like, like really soundtrack. wonderful soundtrack. There was, there was a bit in the movie where I saw this at home and... Like, uh... Soundtrack like good score or soundtrack like good uh, musical music. curation. Good music. Okay. However, I think some of it, a lot of it was original because like 
I was listening to this movie. I was watching this movie at home and I was like, oh, that song rips. What is that? And so I just whipped out my phone and hit Shazam. Turns out it's from the Return to Soul soundtrack. Oh. <laughs> like that's where, so it's really, really great music in it as well. Like really just great sense of place, really, really great vibes. Like, um, yeah, it's just a really rich, entrancing character study. So please see it. It's really good. Bada bing. <laughs> and then we have one more movie left. And you saw it and I didn't. Tell me yeah. about... This is a movie where every time I want to talk about it, I come up with a different word by accident. I've already uh, called it Scavenger. <laughs> I've, I, I've called it... Um, what do I call it? I've called it Survivor. Uh, but it's actually called Sharper. It's called Sharper. And mm. uh, if it helps you, uh, Sharper is a noun. A, okay. a sharper is a kind of person. They actually give a little. Um, Do they, the person who like makes sure all your knives are really sharp. No, there's a little chiron. And, uh, be a sharpener, I guess. Yeah. Not a sharpener, but a, a sharper is uh, on the chiron at the beginning. Says mm. is someone who survives by their wits. So okay, little, that sounds little, like Blade Runner right there. Like yeah, I think they live gonna, on a blade's edge, and I'm like, no, the, no. In fact, isn't that like a really slow moving, really boring job? Where you sit and like stare at people's eyes and ask them questions. You're not yeah. running on anything, are you? No, not really. Hold on. I'm curious if Sharper is an actual real... Yeah, I don't know that... if they made it up for this movie. I'm curious if they made it up for this turn. But yeah, this is an A24 film. It's uh, being distributed on Apple TV+. Plus. Sharper, and... a person who is extremely smart even though they may not always show it. That's an Urban Dictionary. Oh, there you go. So, right. yeah, kind of. A, yeah. a Sharper. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, the movie starts with Justice Smith. He owns a bookshop. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Brianna Middleton uh, comes in and uh, she uh, is looking for a book and she kind of, they kind of hit it off a little bit. It's a meet cute. Okay. Uh, she can't afford the book, but she needs it today. So he's like, you know what? Take it. You can pay me later. Mm. When he's shutting down, she comes back with the money. He's like, well, you know what? Why don't we have dinner? And they have dinner yeah. and uh, takes it. They have a nice conversation. They both love the, the book Jane Eyre. He goes back. He shows her an original copy. They start to fall in love. This is the mm. first act, like yeah, first part of the movie. Yeah, okay, great. Uh, then uh, she reveals that her brother has is in trouble. He's in trouble uh, to the tune of like three hundred thousand dollars. Justice Smith says, "You know what? I'll give you that money." That bookshop I own is a hobby. It does nothing but lose money. I'm very, very rich. My dad is a hedge fund manager. Oh, my. So he's. I can just take money from him. I, I'm not very fond of my dad, and also he's not getting his money from, like, some sort of noble enterprise. He's just yeah. this rich asshole. Okay. Um, she takes the money, and she runs. Which then, she would, wouldn't she? Then we cut to her story, and that's that's the, the opening act of this mm-hmm. movie. That's, like, the first 15 minutes. Uh, then we cut to her story and we see what brought her to Justice Smith in the first place. And we enter this web of intrigue where mm. all these characters begin to get linked to each other. She was being trained and groomed by Sebastian Stan, huh. who is uh, a con man. And she was being trained to con Justice Smith out of this money. Okay. So had to get in, on his good side, date him, actually date him for a little while before mm. he would just sort of give her money. It sounds like... He would have given her the money anyway. Yeah, it sounds like a pretty easy mark, honestly. And, and yeah. in fact, the idea that she was playing emotional games with him ends up like being a really bad idea later in the movie because mm-hmm. he ends up trying to track her down later in the movie. Yeah, you formed too yeah. close a connection. You, over, you overplayed but, your yeah. hand, yeah. But Sebastian Stan was actually involved in uh, a con also with uh, 
some other characters. Uh, Julianne Moore was married to John Lithgow. So great cast here. Really great cast. And yeah, the the three of them, and I don't want to give away too much, but I'll no, just say no, that the no. three of them are involved in a different kind of a con. Uh, who's in on it, who's not, what their actual yeah. roles all are. All everyone's, everyone's got a scheme. The actual twists are a big part of the confidence game genre, like who's conning whom. Yeah, yeah, uh, ever so since, ever yeah, since the sting, yeah. that's been kind of yeah. a, a thing. Are they good um, twists? They are good twists. Oh, that's uh, great. Whether or not you see them coming is going to depend on your astuteness. Um, yeah. Some I saw... I, predicted some more it's more than anything just waiting for the reveals to happen and how yeah. skillfully they do it and this is a tight movie huh. uh they got a good cast it's you know shot really really well it's shot really dynamically everything's really kind of moody uh and it's a confidence game it doesn't have that kind of uh snap or whimsy of a good confidence game where everybody's like really charming mm-hmm. uh and i'm thinking specifically of something like house of games the david mamet movie oh, yeah, which is kind of like the gold standard of confidence movies mm-hmm. i think it's i think it's even though the sting predates it and there are a few mm-hmm. others that that house of games this thing is the template it's, fun, it's, which it's, most yeah, it's like the, the high water ma- high water mark for con con game movies yeah um lindsey krauss Fine. Oh, uh, but... <laughs> oh, you're being harsh. I like it. it's Joe Mantegna's movie. It's though. Joe Mantegna's movie. He really should have yeah, been Oscar nominated and, for and, it. And yeah. Ricky Jay like did yeah. all of this. If uh, you've never seen House of Games, it. it's really really great. Lindsey Krauss plays a therapist whose patient is in like for a lot of money to some shady types, and she ends up tracking them down to try to be helpful and getting sucked into their world of criminality yeah. and falling in love with Joe, with Joe Mantegna, who may or may not be conning her. Um, and he shows her how confidence games really work. Yeah, it's a great movie. Even if you're, even if it's one of the few movies that have like a whole bunch of twists that I think there are movies that have twists that work when you watch them the second time. Uh-huh. But there aren't a lot of many that are like really richer. And I think House mm. of Games is because it's so psychologically like on point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's it's after you know the twists, it's a great character study. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's yeah. really fucking great. Uh, Sebastian Stan is really growing on me as an actor. He's Go, an going, interesting performer. Going back to all the Marvel stuff. He yeah. plays one of the Marvel heroes. He's, yeah, he's Winter uh, the Winter Soldier. And yeah. again, I feel like he's not in playing a superhero is not given like a, a deep character. He can't do yeah. a lot with a role like that. Yeah. Uh, here he's playing like a little bit more of a scoundrel. And I think he's doing, he does that really well. I saw him in a movie last year called Fresh. Yeah, it's great. We played, played a, a, a cannibal. Yeah, he's uh, wonderful so, in that movie. Again, yeah, he's, he's one of those guys who, like, again, there are people who are like, like they, they have matinee good looks. You understand sure. why somebody would want to, to film them just because oh. they're they're mm-hmm. beautiful or handsome. Mm-hmm. But and, that gets uh, in the way of their acting career. Exactly. Yeah. Like they're they're only cast in certain kinds of roles as a result. Yeah, they call, and they even call the, the feral effect. Call, yeah, they tried yeah. to make Colin Farrell like a put generic him in movies, movie like, star, like SWAT. It's like or no, Rick Crute and like, like yeah, no, no, he's he's a different actor no, than that. He's that's amazing not the kind of in Banshees and Sharon. Like he's a really yeah. good actor. Like that's what you do with him. Or or if you're gonna put him in an action movie, you do something like Daredevil, where yeah. he has to play this really like wild supervillain. Yeah, that's the fun part. Uh, like yeah, so it's uh, Sebastian is one of those guys who I honestly think, I mean, surely being in the Marvel Cinematic Universe helped get him get him so, noticed, get him yeah. noticed, get him bigger roles, but also prevented him from doing some really interesting acting yeah, <laughs> because yeah. he's been doing a lot of that just um, kind of okay acting for a while. Uh, I see um, uh, Chris Hemsworth who played Thor in the, the Marvel movies. Yeah. Um, I can see him really trying to break out. Yeah. Who's in that movie Spiderhead where he plays yeah. this kind of like tech bro character. He's very miscast in that movie. He's, he's miscast but you can see him he's trying to do trying different to things. Stretch. He's yeah. a wonderful comedian. 
He's really funny. He's yeah. a very funny guy. He's not a great... As an action hero, he's fine, but, like, mm. you can see in the movies, they've realized Chris Hemsworth is funny. Uh-huh. That's that's the gift we have yeah. in those. But then we lose Thor, because Thor isn't really an action hero after a while. Yeah. Well, you know? I think that's, like, when they... Uh, uh, to, to mention again that uh, uh, Thor Ragnarok, yeah. where... Uh, he sort of like was transformed into a comedy character in earnest in that yeah. one. It's like, that was a little bit refreshing. Yeah. And they tried to repeat the joke in the next Thor movie and it didn't yeah. work anymore. No, well, cause they didn't have any, there's a, there's this one speech he has in Thor Ragnarok. That is my, it, no one, I don't think it's anyone else's favorite part of the movie, but he was uh, talking about like, can we trust Loki? Yes. Well, one time, uh, when we were younger, uh, he transformed himself into a snakes cause he knows they love snakes. And so I picked up the snake to admire it. And then he said, ha ha and stabbed me. <laughs> like, that's the story that's yeah. the whole story he just wanted to just, he, I just love that because as everyone knows I love snakes <laughs> so I picked up the snake to admire yeah. it so I feel like Sebastian Stan as an actor like he's more than yeah. the action hero that they tried to to make him yeah, they, he's, uh, yeah. interesting he's, character he's really, yeah, really good at playing this sort of like shady character and his relationship with the Julianne Moore character is really interesting Julianne Moore and John Lithgow are just great actors yeah they just period they, they can sleepwalk into something and they'll still dazzle you I've never seen John Lithgow have half-ass any role no he's always completely devoted e- even daddy's uh, home too like he's <laughs> genuinely tragic to the point yeah. where it, it hurts the movie because it's not funny anymore mm. <laughs> because he's playing it so real that you're just you're just sad there's like a scene in that movie where john lucky plays will ferrell's dippy dad uh-huh. and uh they go to a night of um uh improv comedy <laughs> Okay. And they end up putting him on stage, but the improv that they decide to go with is deeply emotionally triggering for him because he just had like some really sad things happen to him in his marriage. Uh-huh. And he has like an emotional collapse on stage. And I think we're supposed to think it's funny. It's just sad. <laughs> He's playing it so real. Yeah. It's just really sad. Yeah. I did. Weird. I- I've always admired John Lithgow. He's such a great actor. Uh, and he's one of those actors that because he's just he's so devoted and I, he has either a great agent or he's just that good mm-hmm. he has never not worked yeah there has never been like, like he's, a gap he's never taken a year off yeah he's just if you don't see him in a movie for a few years it's because he's on stage he's doing mm-hmm. something else or or uh, he was in movies and they just didn't come out for a while because movies are scheduled weird but yeah. like, he's constantly he's, he working constantly yeah. working he's in his like mid-70s now and he's yeah. still working he's still great oh so great uh, he's re- and he too is good at playing like mm-hmm comedic dips but also kind of scoundrel characters yeah you can totally do uh, both yeah yeah there, there's a lot of just like horrible scoundrels in this universe and what i like about uh confidence movies is mm. uh they tend to be like noir in that yeah. there aren't heroes being having like a moral is considered an aberration yeah you can't you can't really be a good con films. artist if you have a really good heart yeah or yeah. if there is a character who does have a heart <laughs> mm. you start to feel bad for them for being conned mm-hmm. you or, really need to see the brothers bloom i think you'd really like that movie i haven't seen the brothers that's one of, bloom, that's one of the better underappreciated con artist movies okay. uh and uh the, the little bit of the twist here is there is a moral character somewhere in the middle of all of this mm. and it's their morality that ends up sort of infecting the other characters. Oh, okay. Uh, which is a little bit of a twist. It's not about yeah. corruption. It's sort of like the anti-corruption. Yeah, that's not kind of fun. Not to the point of redemption, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't want to reveal Just too much. Just gets in the way of people's plans. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I appreciate that sort of thing. So yeah, it's yeah, it's cool. a nice tight script. It mm. has a, uh, a lot of fun uh, twists in it and has a lot of really great actors playing interesting characters. Awesome. Solid. 
That sounds really Solid great. flick. That sounds really great. Okay, yeah, cool. We'll have slick as they come. All right. Well, anyway, uh, that is it for our new movie reviews for this week. Uh, we're about to review our movies on a scale uh, that we like to call the critically acclaimed scale because <laughs> it's the that's, critically network. That's, that's our podcast. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, we review movies on a scale of C minus to C plus, uh, where a C is average. You know, some good, some bad. Yeah. You know, average. Uh, C plus is above average. Those are movies we just genuinely recommend for one reason or another. And then C minus is below average. Those are movies we really don't think you need to go out of your way to see. But hey, mm-hmm. live your life. Uh, <laughs> the, but we're not. We're not telling you what not to see. We're telling you what we recommend and what mm-hmm. we don't recommend. Live your life. People disagree with us, and mm. we love hearing about it. So uh, that's always fun too. Uh, on that note, uh, Whitney Sharper, Sharper, uh, you know C plus. Okay, yeah, it's uh, cool. to- totally decent, wonderful little, wonderful little uh, con. Mm. And that's con currently available movie. on Apple Plus. That's on Apple TV Plus. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Return to Soul. I'm also giving a C plus. Um, excellent character film. Um, a little familiar in some of its uh, plotting, but the excellent. I just said excellent. Like the the, mm. the the truly remarkable lead performance and a wonderful sense of place and just some really killer music um, elevates it a lot. It's yeah. it's a very, very strong film. Uh, let's see here. Swallowed. A, swall- a, a C. Okay. Like the, there's some interesting things in here in terms of body horror, in terms of like sexual politics. Um, I feel like it could have been one thing or the other rather than trying to sort of split the difference. Mm. Uh, and that, I think that kind of weakens it a little bit. But okay. uh, yeah, you know, Horror fans, I think, ought to seek it out. And, you know, Jenna Malone is always a winner. Yeah. Uh, of an age, I'm giving a big old C+. I think it is really beautifully acted. Uh-huh. Uh, it captures the 90s in a way that I think very few movies that are either set during the 90s or inspired by 90s indie filmmaking do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's incredibly immersive and genuinely quite lovely. So... I highly recommend you seek out of an age at some point if you don't have a chance to see it in theaters now. Um, big old C plus. Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania. Oh, that's a C minus. Oh, that's uh, too bad. Just re- really skip it. It's, it's maybe just a, a big, big slu- sloshy, muddy mess of a film that has no ideas in it, and it's not even clear. It's badly edited. It's big waste of time. Okay, talking about uh, badly edited and uh, uh, possibly a complete waste of time. Uh, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Oh, golly, a C-minus. Oh, dear. <laughs> it's just not fun to watch. Yeah. It's not exciting. It's not interesting. It's just big and dumb. Yeah. Uh, uh, again, I think the novelty value is... The, the fact that um, it exists yeah, it's, uh, is, it's, is more interesting than actually having to see it. Y- you know, if you're at home listening to this, whether Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey is something that you're like, I gotta see that. It doesn't matter how good it is. Yeah. And on that note, you might get some entertainment value out of watching a very bad horror movie. However, I don't think it's bad in a way that its badness contributes to its quality. I think it just happens to be bad. Okay. Uh, and as a result, I'm not going to give this an elevation. I had some. I had a reasonably good time watching a bad horror movie. Uh, er- ergo, I can't really give it a C minus. This is a C minus. Yeah. This is bolstered almost entirely by novelty factor. And that will eventually wear off. But at the moment, I can't deny it. There is a novelty factor. Mm-hmm. I'll, 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 I'll point that out. But it doesn't really give it a bonus point. Yeah. It's just worth pointing out that there may be a reason to see this that has nothing to do with the fact that it sucks. And that may be enough for you. But mm-hmm. it, the movie itself stinks out loud. Um, <laughs> oh boy, howdy does it. On the next episode of Critically Acclaimed, we're, we're actually going to be doing a bonus episode. 
Uh, it's one of our favorite things that we do every year. Mm. We're going to be doing an episode in a couple of days where we review every single film that was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Short Subject. So that's 15 motion pictures for the Academy Awards for Best Animated Short Subject, Best Live Action Short Subject, and Best Documentary Short Subject, which, in my experience, are the films that are nominated that most people have next to no experience with or knowledge of. There isn't a lot of buzz. Mm. Uh, and as a result, there are films that are Academy Award nominated, mm. but can be very much overlooked. Yeah. Uh, there, a lot of them are playing in the, uh, they're playing in like in theaters as a uh, as a as a whole show, all fifteen. Um, I think they might be divided into two separate categories, but um, I highly recommend you see them, whether or not we like them, just because short filmmaking is really fascinating. And it's, it's, there's it's always a, some good ones. It's a great medium that yeah. uh, here in the United States, we don't get a lot of chance to see it yeah. until you start considering like what people are doing on like YouTube. Yeah. People are actually doing Incredible. it a lot, but yeah. in terms of like theatrical releases and like putting them right next to theatrical feature films, it, yeah. it, the connection isn't quite there a Agreed. lot of the time. Uh, so anyway, you can go see that in theaters. Uh, and if you don't have time or you're just interested in hearing us talk about it and you just want to know what's going mm-hmm. on with all these 15 movies that are Oscar nominated, that people aren't talking about, come back, we'll do a big old deep dive into mm-hmm. all 15. Uh, and I, it's always fun to talk about. Yeah. And I can't wait to, to do so again. Uh, so that's going to happen. And then next time on the show, we'll be reviewing Cocaine Bear and other fun <laughs> things. Um, they're doing a, a re-release mm. of a Quibi movie. And we're going to talk about that. Which one? Die Hard is being edited into a They're putting a that single, into a movie. They're, they're editing mean, it into, oh, like, no. a feature film, and it's going to be available on Amazon. Next week? Next week. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, of all we're talking the, oh, about wait. Cocaine Bear, and we're, all, we're definitely going to be talking about Die Hard oh, again. Die Hard. Because I've talked about it before, but we're going to do it again. Oh, I actually saw because Die Hard. I, I need to do the Quibi thing, man. You do need to do the Quibi thing. I respect that. Uh, I am the, the, the world's only Quibi booster. Anyway, uh, so that's it for Critically Acclaimed. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, if you want to join in the conversation, you disagree about something we said, you have your own ideas about Ant-Man, Winnie the Pooh, Oven Age, Return to Soul, whatever it is. We want to hear from you. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Mm. We might read your email in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail, so feel free to ask us questions. Really stick it to us if you really want to, like knock yourself out. Uh, Whitney, what is our PO box? Yeah, send us an actual physical letter to the critically acclaimed network PO box six four one five six five Los Angeles California nine double zero six four. If you haven't heard, uh, Salt Cat Soap, the soap store I run with my partner Emlapis da Silva, uh, we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash Salt Cat Soap. That's a soap of the month club. But we did just open a Ko-Fi store, uh, ko slash Salt Cat Soap where you can buy some of our newer soaps, a few of our classic soaps, signed books written by M. Lapis da Silva, and because we've had people request this and we weren't able to do it back when we were on Etsy, uh, we can ship internationally now. Yeah. So uh, feel free to head on over to that. You can also find the link on the Twitter page, at Salt Cat Soap. Uh, so there you go. Option. Fun. Everyone's got soap needs. <laughs> I hope you're using soap. Um... Anyway, there's that, and um, yeah, of course we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, where we have a lot of exclusive shows uh, that are available for all, uh, who subscribe, because that's how Patreon works, Uh, and uh, we want to give a very special shout out to all of our patrons without whom this show would not exist, and if you enjoy the show, and you say to yourself, hey, I I like critically acclaimed network, but I I wish there was more of it, Mm. uh, 
Patreon has so many bonus podcasts. Like, like seriously, like hundreds of hours of bonus podcasts are, are just available as soon as you sign up. So, boom, always, always a treat. <laughs> anyway, that's it for the show. I'm tired, and we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up here. Uh, so, thank you everybody once again, and never forget, everyone's a critic. I wanna go to the midnight show. I'm sorry, what? <laughs>